Six years ago, I was here, Brighton, the walrus, <laughs> met Dave on the doors, and he was writing his book, and here it is, finished. Going to read you the back. So you got an idea what's coming. From boys to men, follow David's extraordinary gambling casino career as he goes from penny up the wall, greyhound racing, dealing poker in a spieler, all before he was 16, to finally becoming a croupier in Soho. Lump is an eye-opening insight into the mechanics of the casino business. Ride the waves from London to Miami, the Bahamas, New York, LA, and Puerto Rico as David lends himself to a life of indulgence in the cruise ship and villainy world. Coke, beautiful women, the mob, as in the mafia, all have a part to play in what is essentially a modern-day love story. First of all, huge congratulations to David for getting the book out. Link is in the description box below this video if you want to check it out. Available worldwide on Amazon. And I'd like to start off with like an insane story. So is there a time when you've ever come, I imagine there's several, when you've ever come close to getting killed? Getting killed, yeah. Uh, Yes, yes and no. I suppose, um, I mean, I've had a couple of, tricky situations on doors but when I actually think about it now there was a time when I was in um, down in Miami me, myself and a girlfriend at the time Olivia we uh, I said to her look let's go away for a few days we need to get out of Miami for a bit you know we've been on the South Beach scene now for six eight months um, be handy to get away what she didn't know was that I had a chunk of reddies that I needed to move out of Miami so I said to her, look, let's, where do you, like, where do you, where do you fancy? Let's, let's not, let's not get on an air. Let's just drive somewhere. So I said, well, I've, I've never been to Tampa. Let's go to Tampa. So sweet, four hour drive. <laughs> so you get on the 75 through Alligator Alley, all the rest of the malarkey. Anyway, we get through that. And as we get through it, I was doing what I thought was a normal speed, about, about, about 80 mile an hour. All of a sudden his car pulls up, flashing blue lights, gun out the window, like, next to me pulled the car pulled the car over I thought what for doing 80 it's a bit much like so what's going on here so Olivia she's like just pulled the car over I don't know what they want what the, what? so anyway I get out one of them gets out then the other one gets out I thought this don't look to something not right here Um. so he half sort of flashed me this badge and I didn't get a chance to see it um, I'm sure you're aware of how this all works. And uh, I'm still a fuffle. This is, I'm, this, I'm sure this ain't protocol. This ain't how it works. So anyway, he says to me, pop the trunk, pop the trunk. Now, if you're American, you know what pop, pop the trunk means. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. <laughs> so I'm like, do what? What do you mean? Pop the trunk. What's, what's that mean? Pop the trunk. What do you mean? <laughs> He's going, pop the trunk. And and now she's looking at me like I've gone mad. Yeah. So she says, the boot, Dave, the boot. So I'm like, well, why didn't you say that then? Open the boot. So anyway, <laughs> X thing, he's got, pulled his shooter out. Now he's got it in my boat, right? Oh. And he's got it to the point where it's bending my nose. And I thought it was going to snap my nose. I, could, I thought it was generally going to snap it. And then he's pulled the... And he's, Pulled the the the, tr- the trigger, not pulled the trigger. He's pulled the thing, and I thought, "Fuck, f- f- nah, this ain't right." And then I and then I rumbled it. I was being turned over, uh, and then I was like, oh, "Fucking bollocks!" Oh, 
So you're I'm fine, at, you're fine. So now I'm looking at Olivia. Now she's looking a little bit shit. I can see her getting angry now. So all of a sudden, the other one goes in the boot, gets me bag uh, with all the reddies in it. Uh, he gets in the thing and then he, he said something that I can't remember and I'm sure he said Olivia's name. And, I, and now I'm getting angry. Now I'm off trying to get out of the car now and she's like jumping on me and I'm getting more and more angry and I'm going, fucking, no, I'm not having that. And then he said something and then they, and, and then basically I had a bruise on me, on me boat race for about nearly a month. Like it looked like I had a broken nose. And um, anyway, they get in the car, drive off. I genuinely, generally thought when I heard, you know, when they pulled out, it's not yeah. trigger, when they pulled out, I think, mate, I'm getting done for speeding. Anyway, uh, so of course, as they drove off, Olivia goes like, well, what, what was that all about? And I went, I've just been turned over, girl. But they've proper done me here. And she went, what for your clothes? <laughs> your tasting clothes ain't that good, Dave. And then I had to, I had to say to her, "No, I've, I had I had a, I had some money in the thing." And and then she, of course, there's a general inquiry, and she goes, "Who are you, David?" So I'm nobody. I'm nobody. I'm nobody. And she went, "Right, okay." And then. Yeah, we sort of, you know, a few tears and that. Like she's, and I'm getting more and more angry and more and more. So in my mind, I can still see it. Just as it's driving off, I'm, I want to drive after him now. Uh, but then, obviously, you you come round and you think, hold on, what what what, what can I do? What, what you know, what, obviously this has been planned and so on and so forth. Um, so that was one time, and another time that I, I can think where talk about this is now. This is pure luck. So we was on the door, down the seat run, and there was a load of travellers turned up, and, and you know what they're like, they're, they can be difficult to deal with. Good as gold, but as soon as no, you're not coming in, that means to them, it's like ringing a bell, right, it's off. Right, so there's a fight, altercation, managed to get the better, blah, 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 blah. Uh, and we thought that was the end of it. Anyway, about half an hour later, I was doing something, and... Couple of young, couple of young ladies were coming in, and this uh, young, she dropped her, she absolutely miracle, she dropped her phone. So as I bent down to pick it up, one of them from about ten yards away fired a crossbow. Right, if I hadn't bent down to pick that phone up, that'd have hit me flush in the mush. Right now, what the connotations of that were, I I I don't know, but uh, it wouldn't have been good. Um, and then there was there was a lot of comeback from that, obviously, because then there's all sorts of questions about what you you know, like over, you know, uh, and there was there was a few little situations we had in the states that um, I don't really want to elaborate on there because they're they're in the book, but um, yeah, I think you set the table quite nicely there because people are wondering how the hell did you get in some of these situations, and we're going to get to that. So let's yeah. go back, yeah, yeah, to where you grew up. Um, well. I, I happen to think it was a, uh, it was magical when I, because being a sixty-year-old man, in, in, uh, I, I, I was born in Notting Hill, which at, which at the time is not like Notting Hill. Everyone, you, you assume you say to anyone today, Notting Hill, they come at this. All of a sudden, everyone's a multi-millionaire. Everyone's walking around eating in bistros and Michelin-style restaurants. When I was growing up, it was very much a, uh, it was with the Windrush. 
generation, so it was very Caribbean Irish, because it was all they, they were almost all the houses, which are now houses, 10, 20 million houses. They were all tenements, if you like. They was all separate little. I mean, in our in our house, we had eight families, one bathroom. Can you imagine, one bathroom, so and one toilet, right? So that was fun. Uh, so unfortunately. I mean, mum and uh, mum was seventeen when we got married, uh, and the old man was really young as well. How did they meet? Um, funny enough, me, uh, I think it was Yamasmith Palais, but I think there was another. You know, that's the, that's the story you get. But then it, uh, I don't know. You, you know what the Yamasmith Palais? You were the Yamasmith Palais. I've heard of it. There's yeah, events. It's got. It's gone now. But yeah. It was on. It was on the uh, Shepherd's Bush Road. And it was an infamous dance hall. Mm. You know, it was, it, you know, I think it comfortably old. Three to 4,000 people. It was very well known. They used to have big bands on there, big concerts, the whole, you know, DJ sets, the whole shebang. I think they met down there. And, uh, and I think it was cemented because there was a, a boozer they both used to use, but the old man was a singer. It was a club singer. See, and men who've got a really good voice, it does sound weird to women, doesn't it? There's something weird about men who can sing. <laughs> women, they do, they go berserk women, don't they? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, anyway, so cut a long story if short. only I could sing. Not 100%. <laughs> so to cut a long story short, yeah, so I, 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 I wound up. But my old man was a boxer. So, um, but he was, he's got to be, the, when he got, he got conscripted, see, but he was Irish. But he came over here when he was 18 months. He had a stronger Cockney accent than I've got. And I think he was the only Irishman that got conscripted that got nicked after 24 hours. <laughs> so he was on the trot for 24 hours, right? So to cut a long story short, he wound up in the sho- he wound up in the shovel, blah blah blah. Uh, this was after they, they, after I think it was after they got married, um, and it, it was a tempestuous relationship. You could have said mum was, his, but the problem see with him as tough as he was, my mother was just as tough. Right, and I speak to my mum now. My mum's my best mate. Well, obviously after Peter, but uh, so it was a it, it was it was a fantastic. We didn't I didn't have time. We didn't have time. My sister who's a couple of years younger than me. When they did divorce, it was, I was only five or six. We didn't have time to to worry about um, uh, our parents getting divorced because the next thing we knew, we were down in White City, which was a big tough council estate. Now you've got to face what's in front of you, right? Which is hundreds and hundreds of kids, tough kids, Caribbean, Irish, and English, right? We had nothing, right? We had nothing. I mean, I mean, if my grandfather paid two weeks rent in advance, the old Bill come round asking where he got the money from. Well, that's how bad we was, right? <laughs> One in five families had a television. But we had nothing. We had nothing, Sean, but we had everything, we had everything. We had a, a roof over our head, uh, clothes on our back. Not entirely sure the, the scholastic system was 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 uh, was any good, but we went to school. Um, but we had a good wholesome meal every night, every night, good home cooked meal, you know. And we ate what was was put in front of us. And Nan and Granddad, being from you know, they, they were they were only kids themselves when they came over here after the war, and. Uh, but they, what they taught us was decorum, manners, civility, respect your elders. Um, and, you know, and when you was given something to eat, 
you ate it. And you was happy, you was grateful for it. You know what I mean? It was like, and when it was finished, you'd, and uh, I'm finished, finished it, and I'll leave the table. Yeah, off you go, son. And off you went. Now, there was one occasion, right, where I made this massive rick. Because uh, Nan, being the hypocrite that she was, right, never swore. That was all down to granddad. So I, I came home one day. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I got called in to dinner one day. I was like eight or nine, I think. And I swore. I didn't mean to swear because I completely forgot where I was. All of a sudden, I just copped it out the right-hand side of my eye. Bang! So now I'm on the Gregory Peck. So I've had to stand up. My sister's howling, laughing. And uh, I had to apologise to Nan and Gran. I said, listen, it never happened again. And it, wouldn't, and it never happened again. Because there's hierarchies and there's rules in these tough places. And you grow into them. You understand them. You have to understand where you sit within that social sphere. And... I think that's what's missing today, a lot of... Um, there don't seem to be any rules because the one thing that children love more than anything else are rules. And it, if you break them, there's consequences. What were your fondest memories from then? Ah, oh, um, every Saturday night, Nan and Granddad would have a party back at the flat and Nan singing. She was a club singer as well and Granddad. So every every Saturday night, we'd get about 38 cans of Coke and 144 packets of crisps. And, and uh, I, I, do you know what, Sean? A lot, a lot, a lot of things are made up about it. It, it, was, it. it was a... It was just a fantastic... I mean, we had three channels on the television. There was no mobile phones. The BBC, BBC One, BBC ITV. Yeah. And we, did, we very rarely watched the telly anyway. Uh, we had a stereo. I'll tell you what was funny. So you couldn't, you, if the, the kids say they just would not believe me, right? So we had this old stereo little box thing, right? And the stylus, I had to, to, to sell a tape, a 2p coin onto it so it could maintain its integrity. Otherwise it wouldn't play the record. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. And there was no such thing as, um, I mean, our treat, if you like, was every Sunday. Nan would make rhubarb and custard, mm. rhubarb crumble and custard. Sorry, which was that was fantastic. But um, obviously, as you start to develop and start to get older, your tastes change and things start happening. You know, and Nan made apple pie with lemon juice. Really oh, tiny. and do you know, do you know something, Sean? <laughs> to this day, honestly, I can still smell it. I can still smell when she'd say Sunday because we'd have the Sunday roast. Yeah, and I'm like, is it coming? Is it coming? She's going, okay. And an hour later, she goes, Dave, do you want some rhubarb? Oh, I can still yeah. smell oh, that to this day. The homemade gravy. Oh, I just, <laughs> yeah, those, those, those were, uh, I mean, amongst the multitude of happy things. Um, because, what, about, what about your favourite crisp flavour? Because there wasn't so many flavours back then. Well, I think we had two, no, we had three. We had ready salted, cheese and onion and salt and vinegar. Yeah. And I think my worst memory of, of Chris was like prawn cocktail. Because you... Have, have you ever had prawn cocktail, Chris? Disgusting. I was a cheese and onion man. Right. Because you'd burp five five days later and you'd still you'd taste prawn, prawn cocktail. Chris, that was horrible, wasn't it? You know what <laughs> I mean? Gas and vinegar either. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. So, um, yeah. So, yeah, I think I was a salt and, salt and vinegar man. But again... We were, I think that, that, was, that was the other thing, Sean, growing up. There was no, no disrespect to fact, but there was never any fat kids because 
there was no processed food. There was no to- to- takeaways. We ate breakfast, school dinner, and we ate a good meal of an evening. You know what I mean? And more importantly, we were out playing non-stop. Like, we played football five, six hours. It was, it was normal, wasn't it? Healthy. Yeah. And then as you get older, then you start fighting, and then it becomes a different, you know, and then you get older. But are you aware, is, is there a game called, uh, my, one of my favourite memories, uh, British Bulldog? The fighter? The, the wrestler? No, 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 no. There, there used to be a game called British oh, Bulldog. Oh, I thought you were talking about Big Daddy and no, no, Andre no, no. the Giant and no, all no. that kind of thing, the, the British the, Bulldog. No, there was a game called British Bulldog. So British Bulldog consisted of, so we had, we lived in a, an horseshoe. So block of flats here, block of flats here, block of flats here. So you'd have a bear up to 50 of us. And you'd have us all against one wall. And there'd be one kid in the middle, right? And we had to navigate your way over to the other wall. Whilst this kid in the middle had to tackle someone, right? And when he tackled someone, there's two of them. <laughs> so now you have to get from here through two of them and then they tackle two and then it was four of them right so now but it wasn't like it probably is now where you tap them on the shoulder and get nicked for they'll be all health and safety originals can you imagine and the last kid left was the British Bulldog and can you imagine how tough this kid was can you imagine right so I mean can you imagine playing that game today could you just imagine if they they'd have to have high visits on uh, what do you call them? Thingy hats. Uh, Parents would have to sign disclaimers, waivers. hundred percent. There'd be all sorts. There'd be, there'd be lawsuits going on. I mean, that was one of my. Um, um, that was one of my favourite because you had to be sneaky because I was small and skinny. You know what I mean? But then a couple of years later, you start getting bigger and all that, and you can get a little bit larrier. And so, when your parents split, what became your living situation? Well, mum and dad split up. It was, it was about five, uh, and God bless their souls. They were kids, you know. It was it was a common theme, and it's, I think it's common today. Mum was seventeen, eighteen, you know. It's about like, can imagine, can imagine if you've got a daughter coming up seventeen and says she was getting married and she was pregnant. I mean, you'd like that's when my parents had me shotgun wedding. Right. Okay. Um, so we were we were in Notting Hill, and our my grandparents lived in the White City Estate, which was a council estate in Shepherd's Bush. So we moved down there. And um, a lot, there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of pre, you know, there's, there's sort of premeditated ideas in, in, in terms of, yes, it is a breeding ground for herbs. Yes, there's a lot of villainy that comes from out of it because it's people are poor in generally. Um, but as far as I was concerned, I, I, I had a, it, was, it was a majestic upbringing. Um, in, in with your grandparents? Yeah, 100%. And how often then did you see your parents? Uh, I didn't really see Dad a lot more after that. He, um, yeah, he, was, he was busy. Connie the Will, as he was affectionately known as. Was that rough, not seeing your dad? Do you know, do you know something, Sean? I think there's a lot made of that. Um, in, do you know kids who... who, who uh, they play that victim card, don't they? Or they play that, well, you know, my dad didn't love me. Listen, I was fit and I was healthy. I had a roof over my head and all the shenanigans that goes with it. I didn't, I didn't care. You've, I had to deal with everyday life on a council estate. And we had nothing. And there are a lot of kids who are trying to take that nothing that you've got from you. So now you've got to learn how to defend yourself. And But no, it didn't. It, 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 no, because my, 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 my nan and granddad were angels. 
They gave us everything we really needed. But I was too focused on making sure I got home from school every day, if you like. You know what I mean? Fully dressed. <laughs> because, do you know? Because it didn't... Because I think there's so much made of that when people go through divorces and it gets silly and nasty that they start... There's the blame game. There's the victim card. I, I don't, the, the impression I'm getting is it was rough and tumble on this estate, but you were not lacking in family love. I mean, how could you, how could you not be? It was... Uh, I mean, my granddad was quite a well... He was quite a respected man on you. He says a big lump of an Irishman. You know, no one messed around with my granddad, right? Um, did you see him in action? I did a couple of times, yeah. And he thought, oh, all right, I can see, I get it now. Do you remember but what he, that was over? Over nothing. And I, and I put that like, like most arguments. Um, and it was a case of, uh, and the funny thing is, Sean, he was a drinker, the old man. He loved the grass I called my grandpa. He, he loved the light house. He lived in a boozer. Not once ever, never, never raised his voice, never had the threat of violence, not, certainly not towards me and, and certainly not towards my sister. If ever, if ever we got a belt in, which was occasionally, it was Nan. You know what I mean? But I was, I, I was clever by that stage. I used to have it on my toes over the belt. You know what, what was I mean? his job? He was in the building game. I mean, when he first came over from Ireland, it was, it was, uh, it was after the war. So uh, Nan went to work in, the, she was a dressmaker by trade. So she went to work in the East End, in a sweatshop for the Jews. In a sweatshop, sorry. And granted, he was a milkman. These were in the old days when also when they were horse-drawn carriages, right? <laughs> well, of course, granddad of a Friday, they got paid weekly, right? Now, he could forget, right, that he was, he'd had a few quid and he'd have maybe one or two more Guinnesses than he should have had. So the horse used to make his way back to the yard by himself. <laughs> right? He'd come out, he'd come out champion lag boat, like, where's the horse, where's the horse? And then work it out and then, mm. you know, but I think, he, I think he had a good relationship with him, because he must have had, because I think, and given that, if you had the sort, same sort of circumstance, he'd be sat to it in you for dereliction of duty or whatever it is, I don't know. But, um, yeah, but I think it, he was, uh, as far as I can remember, it was something to do with a building game because um, he was a carpenter. He could, he could, it was weird, he could turn his hand to anything. And I think in, you know, after the war in England, there was plenty of work. If you was a tradesman, I mean, London needed to be rebuilt, obviously, because of what, you know, what the Germans did. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't think he was ever found wanting for work. So as a young person then, who were your best mates? Uh my best mate was a kid called Liam Murphy. I mean, I, I nicknamed my um, Liam Murphy. You couldn't make this stuff up, could you? Um, he was probably my best mate. In, in, in but do you know? Do you know something, Sean? I, I don't know how it works these days with with, with, um, with mobile phones and, and computers and you know this digital world they all live in. Because we didn't have all of that, but there was loads of us. Like when we played football, it'd be about twenty five aside. So that's, that, that, honestly, and that's why you never pass, because if you pass it, you might not, because we might not see the ball again for two weeks. <laughs> so we had all of these, it was just, it, I don't know, it was just, I, I count myself as really lucky, but it was always an inner circle. And I think I, I wasn't a loner per se, 
because when we get into the about my gambling and how that's all started, I found that it for me it worked just by being by yourself. If that not being by yourself, but how old was that? I was old then. I was about eight. <laughs> gambling at eight. <laughs> well, this. I mean. Are we going to touch on that now? Like, yeah, go for it. Right. So, I said, so what happened one day? I was about, I was about seven, seven or eight, coming home from school, and I don't know if you, I, I, I don't know what you, what you, they've probably got another name right now, but it's called Penny Up the Wall. But anyway, there was there was a great big firm of kids around this corner, and they was obviously playing some game, but they were a lot older than, but they were they were like I think they were from secondary school, and we're and I was like, what's going on over here? So being the inquisitive type, so I had a little bit of a nose around. And they were playing Penny up the wall. And uh, I didn't look at the mechanics of how it worked. So I started to watch what all the kids what the, what the kids were doing. What's, what's going on here? Right. So I started to watch body language, mannerisms. When there was a result, whose coin got nearest to the wall, uh, who got the readies but more importantly you was always on the cusp of violence always it was always there or thereabouts you know what I mean because my penny's closer to the wall and you, you're, you're closer to blah 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 anyway so I'm standing there for about five minutes next thing the kid that always won the British Bulldog he's now in a contentious argument with this other kid about my penny's closer to the wall now there's about 30 pennies now in 19... 19- 70, this was a lot of money. To a seven, well, I didn't know what money was then at that point, but I knew it was a lot because it was about 15, 16 ice creams. So I'm standing at the back. So he says, Oi, Dave, come over here. So he calls me over. He says, right, whose penny is nearest to the wall here? Right? But what they didn't know is that I'd befriended this kid, the bully, right? Because... When it was my turn as captain to pick the to pick the football team, I always picked him first, and he was the worst footballer, the worst. He was shit, right? But I always picked him first, and he liked me for it. Now I picked him first for lots of different reasons, and the advantageous side of it was if we ever got in trouble, he looked after us. So you know, upstairs for thinking, downstairs for dancing. You know the rules. So the next thing, I looked down at this thing, and I thought, oh, the other kids might be a little bit closer. I look up at him and he's looking at me now, you know what I mean? I look down again. Now I look up at him again and I'm like, yeah. And it's the kind of look as if to say, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the nod, but I want my cut of the action, right? And he's looking at me and he's giving me the wink and I went, yep, 100%, this is. That was the end of that. On the QT, he's given me like six coins or whatever it is and he's jogged on. But what he's done... I'm now left with all these other kids whose money he's took, right, that are not happy, right? So now I have to navigate my way out of kids who are much bigger than me, right? So in that one, in that, in that one, my very first experience of a gambling scenario, I learned three really, really important things in life that have stuck with me ever since, Right? And you can transfer these skills to anywhere you want. So the first one was recruitment consultancy, i.e. I've identified a particular uh, candidate 
to do a particular role, i.e. he's going to stop me getting beat up. Two, sales skills, because I've negotiated a commission bonus in a highly pressurised environment. <laughs> and three, <laughs> I've exited the market in the face of an economic downturn. <laughs> right? Now, whichever way you want to dress it up, those are absolutely vital skills. You know, it doesn't matter. Whichever way you want to dress it up, those are skills you need in life as you go along in business, right? Indeed. So then I get home and I'm, I quite like this game. I, quite, I do like the old, uh, I like a bit of this gambling scenario. Um, and that was at the same time I get home and granddad's playing cards. So he's got a deck of cards now. So I'm looking at these cards and I'm watching, and I'm just watching him play. And he was playing Patience, or, or Americans call it Solitaire. I ain't got a Danny what he's doing, but I'm just watching him and I'm watching him. And I'm, now I'm watching him intently and I can see what he was doing and I, could, and I sort of worked it out. It's not particularly difficult how to work out how to play Solitaire, Patience. And then I'd worked out what a deck of cards consisted of, suits and how many variations, and, and, and hearts, clubs, diamonds, spades, uh, how you win at solitaire, how you don't. Uh, and then when he, when, he, when he didn't win, for example, the card that he needed was under a certain thing. So by the time I've played it, I've already now, I've now I've worked out probability and permutations in, in a deck of cards. So I'm thinking, do I like cards? <laughs> So I think it was the next day, I'll go down to a... I've had to go down to the pub to go and get the front door key because he's in there having a light out. So I walk in, uh, and there's a load of young, load of young Herberts. And this is when they were paying notes. And I'm showing my age a little bit here. And they're playing cards. And I was fascinated straight away. And one of the, one of the, one of the older boys, he went, hello, son, he said, you're looking for Martin? Uh, my granddad I said um, yeah I am as it happens I said is there any chance I can do you mind if I he went yeah come here son come sit down here I'll show you how to play this and it was three card break so he showed me what that couple like, what we try and know like the uh, the table of hands uh, how the payout system and how the betting system worked uh, and probability and various other aspects of it and he said, come sit here, son, sit here. So he got me a Coke and a packet. And I'm watching that, and I've got, I've got access to his holding, so I can see what cards he's got, right? And sometimes he's got nothing. But now, but now he's, he's bluffing, right? So I'm, I'm, like, and this is in all this happening in space for about a week. I'm thinking to myself, mate, I like this gambling game. I really like this gambling game. Found your passion. I just, and it was just, it was, it, I, look, I, I firmly believe, Sean, this is my... Honest handheld belief. Everyone has got a gift. Everyone. And you have to try and find it. Now, I'm not saying for one minute that my gift was in the... But as I developed my gambling career, I just... I've, I've, I was very comfortable in it. I understood it. I un But the most important thing, like anything in terms of business, don't people worry about the mechanics of how the game works. Poker, for example. They'll, they'll, you, you, you've got mathematicians now. You've got, uh, you've got physicians and all sorts of people playing it on the laws of probability. But the most important thing about poker are the people that play it. Because 
half the time, yes, you are playing against the hands, but half the time you're playing against the people and what they're like. And there, and, and, and it's all about appetite for risk. So is that body language as well, then, reading 100, people? 100, 100%, 100%. You, you, you know, um, all right, you, you, you'll hear a lot of poker players. There's no such thing as a tell. But whether there is or not, I don't know. But, I mean, you've been in some hairy situations, and so have I, you know. And if you look back in it, you know, sometimes you've just got that guilty face, and, the, and they can see it. And they know you've got it. They're not, they're not going to get you to admit it, but they know it's you. Um, and it was the same in the gambling scenario. Uh, yeah, so I think that's when I found my calling. How did that evolve in your teen years? Well, I got to about 12 now. And I got, people are going to think this is unbelievable. This is absolutely true. The White City, there was a dog track, White City Stadium, that was originally built for the, for the Olympics in 1908. Now it was a GRA, it was a, a Ray, it was a, it was a Greyhound racing track. Uh, and one day I was at, I was at school and said, here, listen, they need Potman at the White City Stadium. So what's a Potman? So a Potman is someone that just goes around and clicks empty bottles, glasses, picks up the dirty ashtrays, you know, replenishes the bar, blah, blah. Now I was 12. But by that time, I had bum fluff, you know what I mean? I was six foot tall. I, look, I think you had, to, you had to be 18, but there was no such thing as ID in them days. And I was lucky enough that I was just at 12, my, 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 uh, my bollocks had dropped. So I had a man's voice, <laughs> right? And I just got given a job. So I, got, I, got, so I went over there, got the job first night. And basically, yeah, you waited till the race, you know, the, 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 the bells went to signify that the race was going to start. You went around. Uh, picking up glass, empty glasses and bottles and the ashtrays and blah, blah, blah. Not, not particularly difficult. Um, Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday night. But the first night I was here, I managed to get out just as it was about two or three minutes before the race started and I started watching the bookies, the settlers. Now these boys, sharp, on point, immaculately turned out, really nice kit. And just watching them take money, 160, 11, like bet, 130, bet, 25, bet, 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 bet. I was just, wow, man, look at that. That looks really cool. You know what I mean? And they were just, you know, just, they were on it. And I, I think just, I can do that. I can do that. 100% I could do it. So I started, I said to the girls one, and the girls liked me because they found out I was only 12. So they started letting me off a little bit so I could go and watch the racing and all that, right? <laughs> so for about six months, after about six months, there weren't a bet of any size, any denomination, any odds I didn't know. I could tell you in a split second, wow. any, none, nothing. There weren't, just from watching them. Then you get a program, then you start working it out. And this is the time I start bunking up the school because I thought, what am I doing arithmetic? What's the look like? I don't need to know that Henry V, Henry V, won the Battle of Agincourt. I need to know where this geezer gets his clothes from because I'm going to become a... You know, blah, blah, blah. That was what was important to me. So I started working on that. Then after about a year, I spent so much time at the track. I even, I used, I even used to bunk off school on a Monday. I was really at school by this stage because, because the, the trials were on a, a Monday afternoon. 
So I used to go along. So the tra- a, a, a trainer, for example, if he's got a problem in it's 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 put in a wrong trap, he'll he'll have a trial for it. So he'll put it in another trap, see how it works. Different conditions. There are a, a, a million different anomalies that you can put into a race. So within by the time I'm fourteen, I know everyone at the stadium, even all the trainers. Mm. I mean, if that was to you know, if that was a van today, Sean, I'd have had a council tax bill. I spent so much time <laughs> at this at, 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 at the dogs, right? So anyway, one night I was I was picking up glasses as you do. Anyway, I near these couple of young couple of young Herberts and he was saying, right, fancy this over there, blah, 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 blah. And I just happened to be walking past and I ever so politely said, nah, not tonight. Uh I was at the trial Monday. Right. He was eleven to eight last week. He was in a class A one. He was, a, he was an A two. He's in an A one tonight. He's outsided by eight to one. There's a reason for that because the, the the trap five and the things. It all gets to that. It all gets to the bend quicker than he will. And he'll probably, he's got no chance. Went really. So I, I said to him, "Look, it's it's a pound note." It's, it's, I said, "Have a reverse forecast for me. Can you put it on? Because I can't. I can't gamble because I'm too blah blah blah." So he's gone, you sure, kid? And I went, "Look, no, I'm not sure, but I've got. I reckon that's a good chance. Lo and behold, it only it wins." Right? So now, they come back. Everyone's, everyone's got a nice few quid. Everyone's happy. Uh, and, I'm, and, and I'm standing there and I, I just, I'm trying to keep a lid on it because I don't want people to know what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Just in case I get a tug and they work out I'm 14. So I'm, I'm, I'm living the life of Riley, really. And all of a sudden, I can see this, this, this guy really smartly dressed. Clearly someone, clearly had a lot of money on him, you know what I mean? Co- proper cockney. Clearly weren't old Bill. Uh, he was watching me and I started, I think, right, this is, I'm in trouble here. So he comes over. So he says, hello, son, I've been watching you. Uh, here we go. I'm in trouble now. So he says, um, come outside wherever we are. So I thought, why ain't done anything wrong? I'm, I'm, under, I'm underage, you know. Like, what, you know, what, what can he do me for? So he's gone. Listen, he says, uh, do you live local? Uh, right, okay. And I said, well, it depends. He said, no. Listen, he said, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. What? what I'm, right. He says, I've got a little spieler on the Uxbridge Road in Shepherd's Bush. He said, and I'm looking for someone, just like what you do. Just to run around, look after the boys, because there's a certain individual that frequents this establishment, right? Uh, which is a, you know, like, a, and you think, okay. He says, and we like to keep ourselves to ourselves. So, you know, your back comes, like, all right, okay, I'm not, this is going one or two ways. He says, uh, and basically, that's all you've got to do. He says, when the boys want to drink, Come is there's a bar there, said, but they don't pay for nothing. I'll give it to them. It's all free. Bottles of light out if they want a gin and talk, whatever you got to do. That's all you got. To, that's all you got to do. And if they want something or clean up the bill, like just do exactly what you're doing. He said, but I'm watching. He said, do you know about the dogs and all, didn't you? He said, I just heard what you said to them. He said, he says, yeah. He says, just saying about you, kid. I like you. He said, if you want a job, he said, I can I could use you on a Friday night. No, I ain't got the arse. I, I ain't got the arsehole. Tell him I'm 14, right? <laughs> So I said, well, what are the readies? And I, I think I was getting something like £4.50 a week, Sean, right? Doing work in the three nights. Something like that. Weren't a lot more. He said, I'll give you a fiver 
or a ching as he calls it. So I'll give you a ching. He says, plus tips. So I'm like, okay. I said, but can you just tell? He said, listen, these boys frequent jail, right? On and on. But on a Friday, on a, on a Friday night, we put, we have a, we have a seven card stud poker game, cash game, but we've got a dealer for that. They play Kaluki, dominoes. Boys, you know, do what they got to do and they got to sort out their businesses. All you got to do, he says, I like, he says, I've, I've, I've watched you. Just, just do out, just keep your mouth shut. Don't get eye contact and just, that's all you got to do, son. Mm-hmm. He says, and I, and pr- I promise you, the boys will look after you. Sweet. That'll do. So I walked in and I said, right, I'm quitting here because I was getting more on a Friday night. I was getting for three nights work. So I started in the Spieler. Uh, now, I get to the Spieler, and when I get there, now imagine this is the sep- mid to late 70s. All the boys, these are, these are tough men, right? Men. Incredibly smartly dressed. Right, there's a lot of people that are probably infamous, famous, a lot of people know they are. And this crazy era. Yeah, but with this, now this is in West London now. So you've got the Notting Hill firm. I ain't gonna name names, but you've got the Notting Hill firm. You've got there's all blah, all, 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 the, all the shenanigans that goes on with that. Anyway, the case was, oi, kid, come on, do, do something. But not, but politely, because that was one thing. So a lot of people don't realise the villainy game's a gentleman's game. It really is. And, and I'll say this to everyone, it really is a gentleman's game. If you upset them, that's a completely different world. So, they could do us a favour, bring us over a bottle of light. I brought him over a light. That gives me a pound note. So I said, I think it's all free and all that. And, and if I've done, so they all start laughing. He said, nah, it's for you, kid. Right? <laughs> so Friday night now, right, I'm going home. I've got, my, I've got, I've got a chunk of reddies in me kick, like thinking, and I can't bring it out, can it? Because it's not etiquette, is it? So I get home now, I think I've won the pools, right? Anyway, next night I wound up. He says to me, do you want to work tomorrow night, Saturday? He said, we've got a bit of a thing tomorrow night. Do you want to work tomorrow night? I said, yeah. I said, of course I do, yeah. Yeah, I will. So I wind up at the club. So the dealer ain't turned up. So he says to me, do you know how to deal cards? So I said, no. I said, I mean, I can shuffle, you know, basic shuffle. So I won't know what, you know, the answer's no. So he said, do you know anything about seven cards that poke? I said, no. Here is a word from today's sponsor, Aura. If you Google someone, you can find out all kinds of personal information about them. This information is accessible because of data brokers who profit by selling your information to robocallers, telemarketers, spammers. You can use my link, https dot dot forward slash forward slash aura dot com. Aura is A-U-R-A forward slash Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T Wood to try two weeks for free and see how many data brokers are sharing your info also linked in my description box on this youtube version or scan the qr code on the screen aura also monitors your emails and passwords to see if they were involved in a data breach and exposed on the dark web and gives you the recommendations on what to do aura has almost every internet safety tool you'll ever need all inside one app so he said, he said, well, and this was the, the bully, the one that you don't want to upset, right? He said, I'll tell you what we do, son, right? All you got to do is shut up with the cards. When I say give him one, give him, give us all the cards, it's all you got to do. We'll do the rest. So, okay. 
So that was that. And now this now, when I say this was a very colourful cast of characters, this was an infamous, very colourful cast of characters, right? And they were infamous. These were people. But there was one proper Herbert out of all of them. I think it was something to do with the city. Can you clarify Herbert for the Americans watching this? Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's an, an ingenuous, uh, disingenuous individual. Mm. I think you probably call him a jerk. Okay. Right? <laughs> we, that's, uh, it's, it's language that we use just to, in, in reference to... Um, am I allowed to use the word wanker? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> we get away with wanker. We get away with wanker. Yeah. So, uh, not a particularly nice individual. So... Anyway, so it's about an hour, so I'm sweating, thinking, oh, you know, just, you know, hands at blah, blah, blah. But, so I've been going for about two hours now. And by that time, I've half rumbled what's going on. My, my gambling, whatever it is, can work it out, what's, what's happening. Anyway, so the guy that, the Herbert I was talking about, I hope you understand it now. He only used to turn up, he didn't mind doing his readies every week. He'd done his chunks, he'd done chunks and chunks because he just liked the company. He liked to be seen, he liked to be in that. Do you know what I mean? But the boys never spoke around him because he weren't part of that circle. But I used to rob him every week, you know, take his money. Uh, anyway, so there was this hand turns up and they, they, there's an argument. So the bully, who you don't want to upset, he starts having a ruck with this, and he's got the poshest accent you've ever heard in the history of mankind. You can't, you can't imagine this. And, and you can see, and all of a sudden, I don't know what got into him, he starts getting proper leery. Right? And even like, and I'm like, mate, please don't. You're going to get seriously hurt here. And I don't know what made me do it. Because there was a, a side pot over here that involved, because this, this guy had gone all in, and it, it just made, right? And I don't know what made me do it. And I, I just went, do you mind if I, if I say something? And he's just looked at me. <laughs> and I, I've gone, as it happens, John, right, he, he wins the main pot and you win the side pot, but he's still got about 50, 60 quid left out of a, what, like, because he's got more money than you. And he sat down and it just, there was a stony silence. And I thought, oh, I'm going to get stabbed to death here. I'm going to get killed, like, blah, blah. And he turned around and looked at me. He just turned around and looked at me and he's gone, I knew there was saying I liked, I liked about that. <laughs> he said, right, you're on the firm, son. You tell the, bring that other ice cream and tell him he ain't welcome. I tell us, I lost four stone in about two seconds. Just to, oh, and it all came out of me. And then the geezer, as I'm shuffling for the next hand, I thought he said, I thought you said you never knew nothing about poker. I said, I don't, but I said, but I've, I've managed it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I was comfortable in that environment. I, 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 I just knew it. And I knew the punters. So subliminally, in my mind somewhere, I've, I've already come to me and I thought, yeah, go on, Dave, say something. Say something. Even though it could have got me seriously hurt. And he would have hurt me as well. Even though I was only 14 and about six and a half stone. Um, but yeah, I got away with that. That could probably be put in with the nearly getting killed malarkey from the beginning. How long were you doing the spieler? Uh... We got really unlucky with that um, because it turns out in the end that the Herbert, the, the disingenuous gentleman, the knucklehead, was actually uh, an informer. <sighs> um, and all the boys that were at the club 
They never used to speak in front of him. I mean, but these were, they always had. This was in the days when cash was king. You very rarely saw a card, credit card. Cash was, and boys always, always had chunks of reddies on them. Always. I'd come out of there some night, Sean, with 160, 170 quid. This was free. This was 1977, 78. This was three times what a, what a man earned in a week. My pocket money was 50 pence a week back then. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I went up to, I went up to Wedgeware Road and bought a, a, a pair of lizard skin shoes, which, like, that was 120 quid. And I remember people around the estate going, just like, they just left me alone then because they found out what, where I was working and they just like, obviously the people I mixed with by that time. And that was where I learned, granddad taught me two things in life, right? Never, ever, ever ask any questions. Keep your mouth shut and just, that's how, that's how it works, right? That's it. Don't ever volunteer any information to anyone about anything. And that's, that's, how, and that's how I've lived my life. And, I, and so I, I've all had that from, it was all, so you could, you could say, that's how I learned, that just do everything yourself can move stuff yourself you can get to and then there was another we'll call him Tommy who was the card player this was this was Diesel Sharp you know what I mean he, he very rarely lost he was, he was he was making a lot of money out of that game on a Friday night and he took me under his wing and then he asked me to start doing a couple of things he, he, got, he was the first one he said me listen do you want a little job and I was like oh yeah he says I need that bag to get to Brighton so I said alright so he said, do you want to know what's in it? I went, do I need to know what's in it? He's like, no, he says, I knew I liked you, kid. So I jump on the Rattler, I get to Victoria, I pay a fiver, wherever it is for a kid, do you know what I mean? Blah, 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 blah. And uh, go down. It could have been donuts for all I know. Uh, but I get weighed in at Brighton, I get weighed in when I come back, and I had a nice little life. But anyway, so it turns out Mr. Posh, working in the city, he'd bubbled and lollied all the boys, and then one night we were we was on the thing, and I think this was my very first experience of the old Bill. Next thing, the doors come flying in, like literally flying in. And this was in the old days when you could have a proper dust up with them. Obviously, I was too small and too skinny, and there was no quarter given and no quarter taken. You know, they managed to they nicked everyone, and they were like one of the geezers comes over and says, "You're lucky, Moynihan. We know you're only 15. So we can't be bothered with the paperwork. Just jog on. So that was the end of my <laughs> Spieler career. Um, well, I might have been I might have been touching sixteen now. About the time I was, uh, but it might have been the last year at school. Yeah. So were it, they all gone? They were incarcerated at that point, and you didn't have any more dealings with them. Well, funny enough, I kind of did and I didn't because the people I know. We're involved with them. You know, they all mixed in very similar circles. Because people, you know, people go to work. People go a nine to five job. And other people go to work work. <laughs> like, as you know. And it's that kind of lifestyle that you have to, because um, I was too young and naive. I wasn't naive. Right, that's, let me rephrase that. I wasn't naive to the point where I didn't understand that what I'm involved in here could get me a lot of, could get me in a lot of trouble. Because when you get to 16, it's a different world now. 16 is a completely different world for some reason. But when you're 15, 14, there's too much paperwork. 
And are you attracting females with all this bling? Well, because believe it or not, I was painfully shy, right? Painfully shy. And uh, it was I was a late starter where, uh, particularly if you, from the environment I come, come from in terms of a council estate, because there's loads of girls around, and, uh, you know. But my problem with girls was, Sean, right? They didn't play football. They didn't play British Bulldog. <laughs> they didn't play Penny Up the Wall. And they didn't play cards. So I'm, uh, well, what am I going to be doing with them? But it's only when you get 14. Now, we've all been through this. Every man on this earth has been through this. When you get to 14, you start, things start happening to you downstairs, right? That are just uncontrollable. I don't know if you remember. So all of a sudden, you're at school, right? Or one of the few times I was at school. And you think, right, I've got this big game Saturday. Right, blah, blah, we're going to meet the boys and we're going to go blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, you've got this hard-on that you have no idea what it is. And it it hurts. And I wasn't... um, I hadn't discovered... uh, Can I say... I hadn't discovered wanking at this point, right? Because I didn't know what girls were for. I didn't. And I, I, I... I was looking out. I was, I was looking out the window one day, and I was, you know, as you do, and I'm thinking, I've got this fucking hard on now, and I'm going to do a bit, you know. And then it's just at that time the school finished, and you could see all these little herbs. There's about twenty of them, and they're all at the school gates, and it's like they're on, they're, they're in block, you know, sprinting block. Wallop, they're gone home, and I, I'm thinking to myself, well, they're quite keen to do their own work. Right, but these kids had already worked out <laughs> <laughs> what an orgasm was. So, that, that, do you know what I mean? So, but yeah, so about, I was fifteen, I think, when I had my first real proper girlfriend, and uh, and I think I was I was late fifteen when I lost my virginity. If we talk about that, but um, which was which was late from the invo- from from a council estate kid, you know. It was hard work. Like, I don't know, what, what am I supposed to do here? What am I supposed to touch, you know? Because you think you're this, you know, well, can you help me out here? Like, what am I What am I doing? And, you know, and then for all of about three seconds, and then it's over. <laughs> and then you think you're this great, oh, I'm a man now, I've, I've broken the seal, or, you know, I'm one of the boys, or, I'm Don Juan. When the reality is, you know, you you just, you know, yeah, and it takes, I don't know about yourself, but it took me years to, 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 to find out what, 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 what girls were all about. Did that slow you down with the lifestyle, the other lifestyle, the gambling and stuff? No, because by now, I started to get a few quid out of it and it does attract, you do, you become noticeable. But it was at this point then, because people start wanting to know you then for very, for different reasons. They don't want to know, oh, he's Dave Moynihan, the footballer, or he's David Moynihan, uh, whatever you are at the time. They, they realise that you seem to have a lot of readies around you all the time. Do you know what I mean? Like, So there's always there's always the potential for a party. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying girls did it, but I, I was a very skinny kid, and then from between 15 and 16, I just naturally just, just started to develop. As, as as most kids, as most boys, well, a lot of boys, most boys, I think, do. Started, my back started broadening, start getting shoulders up. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah, then you start getting a bit of female attention. 
Were you watching any Stallone or Schwarzenegger back then? I can't. Um, I don't think. Well, I, if I remember, I don't think the first rock. What was the first Rocky? Was that seventy nine? I think so. Yeah, was it? I was sixteen. I think. Yeah, because that swept the country, didn't it? Well, it swept the world. Yeah. Um, that's a fantastic story. If you listen to Stallone's story, you know, that, that yeah. whole, he wouldn't sell his book. How he did it. Yeah, the whole shebang. Did that inspire you? Were you doing fitness or anything? Yeah, yeah. There was, I, I mean, I had some, I had some, uh, I had some pals of mine that were, were fantastic boxers. Um, so, uh, so you got into boxing, did you? I, well, I went a couple of times before I realised I didn't have a chin. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, I, could, I had an hammer for a fist, but, in boxing, you need to be able to take a punch. <laughs> and unfortunately, I had a glass chin. Um, so it wasn't for me. But um, yeah, by that time, and then I'd got into training then. And then a couple of pals of mine were in the TA, Territorial Army, and then there's a couple of pals out of the estate went into the army. Because that's what they were for, a lot of council estates, up and down the country, wherever you're from, Scotland and Wales particularly, because they've got very little chance of a career. So that's where they tend to get the soldiers from. And it's the same with council estates you get. It's just a natural thing, you know, because a lot of us left school with nothing, like myself. You know, you'd literally, because I was, I wanted to be in the gambling world and I didn't think anything was from school was going to get me there. So, uh, were you thinking about getting your own place? Yes and no. I, but I had the light of Riley, Sean. I, because by now, Nan and Granddad, I could come and go as I pleased. And it was where I, I lived down one end of the flat and they lived down there. I, was, I, I might not see them for weeks, months, you know. And then you start meeting girls and you start staying out places and then all of a sudden you get a little bit larrier and you start staying in hotels and this, that. And do you know what I mean? And it, yeah, and then I, I I was very young, like and I wasn't far away from going to Miami the first time. So... um no is the answer to that and a long-winded answer, but um, yeah, I had the life of Riley where that was concerned. So what, how were you making money in your late teens? I started, I was playing in a, a three-card bag game on a Friday. Um, and I could make enough, if you like, off that game to live comfortably. Like to to so what, if we, if people were getting fifty pound a week, I could comfortably make fifty pound a week playing that game. Easy, right? Because um, it's such a it's such an easy game to play, and you don't you play against the you play against the boys. You give them enough drink, and this is in the days before cocaine, so you can get them pissed really early. And it was it was it. They literally gave you the money, you know. Um, yeah, and I started. I was at the dogs a lot. And I'm not saying I was a professional gambler, not by no uh, by no shakes of the imagination, but I um, I won more. I could sustain a living gambling at this point, um, which was it was enough that I I I didn't really have to work, if you like. Getting a job on the bags. I became a settler. I was only I, I was one of the boys that worked on the, that worked the bag the bags or. Uh, because in that was where they put the money, so you'll have to you'll have to the the uh, you'll have the board with all the dogs on it, and as they were taking the money, they literally you know blah, 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 they just put it in the bag, 
and the settlers are the boys that make the payouts at the end. But unfortunately for me, because I was 16 at the time, I worked two nights. Geez, I was, I was, I was living a dream. This is what I wanted to do. I had it. I was there. Do you know what I mean? And the geese went, I've never like, you sure you never done this before, Sam? I was like, I ain't. But unfortunately for me, uh, the GRA, there was, well, I got unlucky. There was an inspection or something and he came round. I think I only did two or three shifts and he went, I need to see, how old are you, son? So the geese I was working for genuinely thought I was 22, 23. I said, so I'm 16. He went, oh yeah? Out. So, but do you know what, Sean? It was probably a good thing because I'd probably be still doing it. I just loved it. I loved it. It, it was what I was, do you know I mean? I could do it. It was easy. It, it, I was comfortable doing it. That's what makes you the most happy, isn't it, when you're doing something you love like that? And that's the essence of life, isn't it, yeah. to be happy? Then you meet a croupier that lived in the Bahamas. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was a couple of months, I'd say, after I'd lost the, uh, lost the bag job. So, um, a couple of girlfriends of mine, and they were friends, Marie and Jackie Carolan. Um, used to go around on a Wednesday night, and, but the older sister was a proper, proper sort this older sister, do you know what I mean? And she said to me, so you've got to come around Wednesday night, her boyfriend's home from the Bahamas, you've got to meet him. Um, I forget his name. Anyway, so I'm round the ass, uh, and he's over from the Bahamas on holiday. So this, remember them old MGs? Remember the old MGs? Vaguely. The British British racing MGs? Yeah. One of them turns up, soft top, this uber, good-looking, smooth-looking, first my first thing of Ray-Bans, gets out of the car. And, I, and, and I'm not the jealous type. I'm, I'm the type where it's all right, I want to know how he got that car, right? The looks I can't handle, but I, can, I want to know how he got that car, right? So he comes in. Introductions are made. Hello, mate. How are you? Blah, blah. So he goes, what do you do, son? So I said, uh, I play cards. He says, oh, boy. He says, I'm a croupier. I was like, oh, yeah, what's a croupier? He says, I deal cards. In, uh, and I, I, I deal roulette, baccarat, 21, blackjack, chemin de fur. So I was like, oh, I can deal cards. <laughs> oh, yeah, what's that? Seven cards, studs, poker. He says, not in a spieler, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, an illegal... Uh, gambling then David I went no 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 no. just help my granddad on a you know blah 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 but you could see this guy was making a lot of money now the Bahamas in 1979-1980 was a dream it was stuff you saw on the love boat you know Jack Jones do you remember that the yep. love boat, love boat. And, and, and it was, uh, and I met him actually, but believe it or not, on a cruise ship a long time. I'll tell you that it's another story for another day. But, um, so I was fascinated by this guy, but I was, I think I was 17 at the time. And I said to, he said to me, you know, they're always looking for good people. He said, what do you like with numbers? So I said, well, I think I'm all right. So he said, well, look, I've got a couple of phone numbers for you to call. These people would be more than interested to talk to you. But he says, how old are you? I was 17. He said, no, you've got to be 18. When you get to 18, give him a call. Um, and then we just got talking and he was telling me about his life in the Bahamas. He had a boat, you know, he had a, a, a beachfront apartment overlooking the ocean. He had a little boat. <sighs> you know, I'm, I'm looking at 007 here. 
And I'm thinking, oh, I want some of that. That's, that's, that's a bit of me. That is. You know what I mean? Like, so to my aspirations, I'm thinking, what's a croup? Yeah, you know, it's a dealer. So that was my interest. That was, that was my, okay, I want to be a croupier now. So I only had to wait a little bit of time. I've got 18. Uh, and then I, I was coming back from something, from East London somewhere. I was on a, I was on a, on a tube. And in London, there's an Evening Standard newspaper and they do a, a situation vacant bit. So I'm doing nothing. I thought I need a job. I've got to, I've got to sort myself out. I've got, to get, I've got to get a job. Like, I've got to get, you know, I've got to get a career or something. So I left school with no qualifications. I'm thinking, you know. Now, but I was just barely 18. And as I've, I'm getting frustrated, I've ripped open the paper and just in a corner was a little situations vacant. Trainee croupiers. <laughs> Uh, come to Stringfellas um, nightclub, right? And I'm one. I'm, I'm a Piccadilly. There's a next stop, so I just instinctively got off, and I thought, hold on, it's just so I get out of Piccadilly. It's just down, so it's only a five minute walk. But I weren't dressed for it. I, I had a pair of shorts on, saying, you know, it was a warm, whatever. And and when I get there, there's a queue. Because it was a, 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 a good job in London at the time. It's a queue down the road, must be 50, 60 people, all in their Sunday best. And I'll get there and I'm, I've got like a pink Lacoste on, pair of shorts, like, you know, Larry, typical, you know. Uh, and just as I get to the door, and I don't know what made this geezer do it. He was one of the, one of the croupiers. He's brought me inside for something. Thought I was doing something with a kitchen or something. And I, and I said to him, "How do I apply for a job as a as a croupier?" He's going, "Did you not read the advert? It says at the bottom, sm- come smartly dressed in your best Sunday best." And I took offence to it because that you know. So I went, "All right, mate. Sorry, I don't blah blah blah. I didn't mean to, uh, I don't want to upset the equilibrium. You know, blah blah. You know, all right. Because anyway. you can see he was getting upset. Anyway, what happened is, this is where it's all fate." Next thing, Maria, her name was, she's come walking out of the thing. She's looking at me and she's like, she says, what's going on here? So before the Herbert can pipe up, I said to her, I said, I'll tell you what's happening. I says, I've, 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 I've picked up the, the newspaper and I've seen the advert and I very stupidly, I did not see the bit at the bottom that said, come smartly dressed. I genuinely didn't see it. I said, I'm sorry for wasting your time. I said, but... um, uh, can you show me where to get out and blah, blah, blah. And as luck would have it, and this is what I've always, as this I've always, as luck would have it, right? She says to me, you only good with numbers? So I said, well, I might be. She says, right, there's 20, 30 questions here. And they were fractions, odds. <laughs> so she sits down. Uh, she says, well, go and take that test and we'll see how you go see whether we can do anything so I sit down do this test and with all modesty aside all modesty aside I'll finish this thing in about a minute right <laughs> a minute and I sit down at this table and you can see everyone's head like this and, 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 and all fucking sweating and all sorts <laughs> and I've gone boom 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 and just and so I stood up and I'm walking out and so she's come over and she goes look David she goes I've given you an opportunity please have the common courtesy to sit back down and finish the test so I said, I have. She went, what? So I said, I have finished it. 
give me that paper here. So she's give it to the to the Herbert who's trying to throw me out. Right. <laughs> so he's looking down it. He, he says you've got them all right. So she's looking at me now. She goes, "Someone's give you the answers." <laughs> <laughs> I've gone. Do what? I went. No, they ain't. So she then said something else. She goes, "Right, come in the office with me." Right? She goes, right, do you know someone who's a croupier? And I told her the story. I said, no, I said, I don't know. So, but I met this geezer, blah, 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 boring. So she says, and you don't know, you've never seen these questions before? I said, I ain't. I said, well, go and get me another one. I'll do that. Go and get me another 20 questions. I'll do that. And, we'll, and you can watch me do it. And then I could see her, and I could see her looking at me now. She's the old twinkle <laughs> in her eyes looking at me now. And then I looked at her and I said to her, so look, I said, I said I'll tell you what, I'm sorry for have wasted your time. You know what I mean? Because I'm trying. I'm pulling the reverse psychology on her now. Because I'm yeah, upstairs for thinking, downstairs for dancing. And then she's looked at me. She said, "I'll tell you what we'll do." And it was a Friday. She says, "Any chance you can come back Monday, dressed in a whistle and flute, and we'll have a look?" So I said, "Yeah, all right." I said, "I'll see you Monday." And I knew. I, I knew. Do you know what I mean? Because and, and as I walked out. No one else has still moved. And this is like 10, 15 minutes later and they're still all scratching their heads. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, Sean? And I didn't have the art to tell her that, it, and, and trust me, not because I'm Captain Fantastic. That's got nothing to do with it. It's, I, didn't, I didn't want to volunteer any information of my background. By the time I, I was only 18, 19 here. But I just knew how it worked. You know what I mean? It was my gift. Yeah. So that was it. So I, so I went back on. Can I, can I finish? Please keep going. So, so I went off. So I went on the Monday. So I'm walking. I've got a nice suit on there. Cut, cuts down through, uh, coming down through, um, down Regent Street, in through Beak Street, into Soho. In, in, and I could see her walking across her and she was a very, very immensely attractive lady. So I've gone, I've said, oh, hello. Now, and I'm fairly sure that she's probably the type of female that gets hit on a million times a day. And she's gone, I beg your pardon. I said, David. I said, I'm the guy with the shorts. I said, oh, hello, David. Are you scrub up well? And I knew straight away then. And she goes, come on, let's do the paperwork. And I think it was four, four weeks later. Um, she said, uh, do you want to start recruiting training school? So in them days, it was paid. And it was for six weeks. And it was one game. I mean, they teach them free games now in about in about twenty hours or whatever. It's something ridiculous. But in my day, I I I started, and if I may, so the first day I walk into training school, there's thirty five of us, thirty insanely attractive females, five guys, and two of them were right. So I, I, I'm not, so you can't imagine. <laughs> the time that I had on this training school so if I even began to tell you and I'm not a boastful man but anyway so yeah and then uh, that started off my casino career <laughs> so Stringfellas you said yeah and did you meet him no and it, no I never know no. it, it was funny as well because the, the standard of I think it was they employed one in 99 females that applied for a role at the time at one point the the uh, for example the the Ritz Casino had four page three girls working there two wow. dealer, two dealers and two waitresses the standard of females like it was all about looks 
it was nothing to do with what your mathematical skills were, what how how agile your hands were. It was absolutely nothing to do with that. Um, it was all about what you looked like. So how did you take to it? What to the casino game? Mm-hmm. Oh, so we finished training, um, which was uh, six weeks of just six weeks. I not the best time of my life, but I had a, I had a, I had a giggle personally. And at the time, I started at a place called Charlie Chester's Casino. Now, Charlie Chester's is an infamous casino in the world of casinos. It's, it's known as the best training school for dice dealers. You'll find that every single individual that's on the best 25 dice dealers in the world started at Charlie Chester's. It was the worst casino in London to work, for example, for it was the work with, for, so it was the least money. Uh, it was the only 50 pence game of roulette in town. Uh, and people didn't stay there long because it was a stepping stone. But a lot of people that come into London for the first time from the provinces went to places like Chester's, they got the action, and then they went off a mile up the road and got and doubled their money. Um, so it was a. But I remember the first night I walked through, we were funny enough, we was across the road, believe it or not. Can you imagine sometimes it was tearing down the rain by the time you got over the road? You was soaking wet. Like at the, and it, but anyway, I remember walking in the first night and it was the, the smell of the carpet, like the reek of cigarettes. It was like... It was like a wall of Chinamen. It was like something out of, like... Uh, you ever seen the movie Deer Hunter? Yes. Have you ever seen that? Do you remember the, the Russian roulette bit? Yes. Right? I'll never forget that. Do you remember the bit where there's just this mental volume of noise? Ah, and they're all betting. Ah, and then they get to the bit where he loads the go, and he just goes, ah, and there's stony silence. Honestly, so you walk upstairs, and it's just this wall of noise, Chinaman, thick smoke, stunk of beer and style Chinaman with all due respect and in amongst all of that was this harem of beautiful women dealers it was weird <laughs> right and you'd get this this wall of noise five eight ten eleven finish betting please no more bets boom silence and then it's almost like the geezer's put got the trigger, and then you can hear the ball, dun, 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 dun. 36 red. Boom. And then the noise started again. And it was just <laughs> it was the funniest thing. And 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 it was it was just honest to God, Sean. I just I got it straight away. Within 20 minutes, I worked out who was in charge, who done what. Because they only taught us at the training school, the technicalities and the mechanics of how the, how the games worked to be out of deal. Didn't say you was going to be watched by an inspector, that the pit bosses watch the inspectors and the managers watch the pit bosses watching the inspectors watching the dealers. Didn't teach any of that. But I could see how, I could see that hierarchy system coming from a council estate and I could just see it. And within eight or nine months, I only dealt roulette and then there was a dice training school come up and it got one of uh, the governor he came over to me. He said, listen, I need to talk to you. He said, I'm not entirely sure you was um, telling us the truth on your application, Dave. So well, in the first instance, it's David. 
<laughs> I got away with it and all. I said, and, uh, no, I've, I've, I'm fucking 19 years of age. How would I know anything different? So he said, well, you just must be a natural. And I didn't have the art to tell him. And again, this is not, I'm not being, I just knew what I was doing, Sean. I've never been more comfortable in an environment in my life. And when I got done the dice training school, which involved picking up two dice, lobbing them down the table at one end of the, of the table. And then there was this wall of noise and you had seconds to pay the bets out. And then there was a guy in the middle called the boxman and he's the one who ran the game and you had the two boys at the side, the two base dealers, and you're the guy on the stick that hands the dice out. He rolls them and then you get them back in with a stick and then, you know, all the rest of it. To me, it was just an elaborate form of penny up the wall. That's what it was. And I had it. Within in a couple of weeks, I had it. Um, Did you ever make a mistake and it got heated? Oh, um, I mean, I've had, the, I've had a table turned over on me. What happened? Why? Well, the idiot on stick called the wrong number. Uh, he called Can us. You just explain what that means. Right. Okay. Right. So, um, very, very quickly, uh, you, uh, I don't want to get too technical because we might get lost in the whole concept of what I'm trying to say. But effectively, so maybe if the point's eight, Everyone's now betting if they're on the win line that they're betting an eight will come before a seven. And if an eight win hits, drops, or sorry, if you throw an eight, you win. If a seven, if you throw a seven, you lose. So the idiot, or shall we call him the affectionate name, the herb on the stick called a seven. And luck, I was watching. And just as he was about to get the stick in, just about as I just got my hand in front of me. I just went seven out. Uh, no, I said eight a winner, whatever it is. But by that time, the geezer who stood next to the stick man hit him, right? <laughs> and now everyone's trying to grab the chips off the layout. Now I'm on the layout trying to stop them all trying to nick the chips. And I mean, I mean, this was a highly irregular uh, uh, situation because we've got cameras to resolve these issues. Right, but when you've got drink and cocaine and people and gambling and money involved, it's a very emotional business, and people can flip very quickly, very very quickly. Um, I mean, there's a multitude of stories, particularly in the West End, when this was at the time when the Iranians, uh, the Iranian, sorry, and the Iraqis was at war. London was a melting pot of. Uh, there were whales, there were loads of what we call whales that could spend 100, 200, 300, 400, 500, 1,000 on one spin of the wheel of roulette. Like there was a lot of money in England, in London, sorry, in, in, in the roulette world. Um, and yeah, there are umpteen stories. Um, but there's one great thing I made. Is one, one, I'll tell you what, one of the most heartwarming stories I, I'll ever give you was uh, Kerry Packer, who was um, considered the world's biggest gambler. Now, I'm, I met him. Well, I didn't meet him. I, I was in a club that he came to. This man, like, he was a billionaire, right? And I didn't even know that. I, I'd never met a, a millionaire. I never met a billionaire. And he was like six foot five, six foot six, six foot, whatever he was. He was a big man. He had this massive head. But anyway, he was in, he, he was in, he was in a club on Artford Street, which I think was Crockford's. And, um, 
they were stupid enough to take him on. So they'd give him seven boxes and he'd play, and they said, what's my maximum? So he'd say 150 grand. Now, it wasn't 150 grand a hand. It was 150 grand each box. So you're talking, you're talking about 1.05 million, right? So this is, this is big, big, big money. So anyway, I think they beat him in the end. It weren't for a lot, but they beat him because he was obviously clearly, an, he's a, uh, well, he, was, he wasn't a billionaire for, uh, for a reason. And um, one of the waitresses, uh, she happened to walk in at the time. This is an infamous story in London. It's true because it's been backed up. I wasn't there. But to cut a long story short, he... Some guy that was playing behind him was playing like 10, 15 grand or something per hand. They let him play. And he made a decision, uh, because it's his boxer, he can make the decision whether he wants a card or not. He's made a decision which he, should, he shouldn't have called the card, but he didn't. He went over. So the guy lost the money. And at the time, the waitress was, was bringing him a drink or something. And this guy started letting the waitress have it. Like really, really having a go at this waitress, calling her all sorts of names, right? Now... A lot of them used to get away with it because they could, because they were spending so much money. There's no such thing as security in them days. There's no such thing. So you couldn't get a bouncer in there to calm things down. And as a manager and a pit boss, you're the ones who'd have to like try and alleviate the situation. So anyway, this geezer was going Garrity. And uh, till eventually that Kerry Packer turned around and listen, do yourself a favour and keep yourself quiet because he had his own bodyguards with him. Now, they're going to set about this guy, right? But luckily, it all watered down. The moral of the story is that when Kerry Packer was walking out, he, the next day, someone turned up. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm, I've got a backtrack here. Sorry. When, the guy, when, when this uh, Arabian guy was having a go at the waitress, she said, look, I'm only trying to do my job here. I've got a mortgage to pay. And I, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm, I, you know, I'm sorry. And that's how we were trained. That was it. You know, you just, you know, whatever. So, of course, all blew over. Next day, Kerry Packer sent one of his, inadvertently one of his guys in there, got talking to this lady, found out her name. And then through one thing or another, I don't know how they did it, found out her mortgage details and he paid her mortgage off. <laughs> Now, at the time, it's only about 30 grand. But today's equivalent would be half a million, I suppose. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. And it, it wasn't It wasn't like, but it was like a week later because she came into work and she was like, I don't know what's happened. She goes, but fucking, I've got my mortgage deeds this morning. Imagine that. Imagine <laughs> that. How did he make his money? So, I, so I, was, I was my girlfriend at the time. Get a job as a waitress up there and, <laughs> and, and upset him, upset him. <laughs> How how did he make his fortune? He was he was a uh, he, he was he was Australian and he, he had ten, it was it was through the media and he had various. Uh, I've heard that name. TV channels, yeah, because his son yeah. Ke- uh, James, I think he and he and he married someone, didn't he? Quite infamous over here, um, one of the goldsmiths or someone like that, and he runs the because um, he opened up a massive casino in Australia, which they call Aspers. Mm. Um, and they are, it's on the Gold Coast. I think it's Queensland. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, Sean. Don't quote me on that. But yes, they, they have financial interests in various media outlets and television channels and all sorts of um, uh, various... They, I mean, they have 
business interests in a lot of uh, there's a lot of money in that family so at the point now where you get arrested for the first time and the violence starts getting heavy well no it, well to be fair it was a little bit this was a when you get to 16, 17, I mean, it was a ridiculous situation. Me, me and um, we were coming back from the Palais, of all places, the Hammersmith Palais, me and two of the boys. And we were with our girlfriends, and we were walking past the Nick. And this couple of old Bill came out, and they said something about, they were getting Larry, and one of them said something to me, girlfriend or something, and, you know, it was being flirtatious. I didn't take too kindly to it. And it was like, yeah, go on, do so. Sorry? And that was it. We just set about them. And we completely forgot that we was actually outside a police station. <laughs> so within five minutes, now we're all, now we're trying to get, oh, man, whatever. Like, so, uh, so, yeah, that was the start. Um, and then. So you were in the cells that night, were you? Yeah. How did that feel? Well, I I like my liberty. Sean, I I think the look, I'd I'd take being skint and proper on the penny and having my liberty over anything and you know this more than anyone if, if I can refer if I can reference it and I and it kind of I thought yeah I'm not too sure about this whether you know, you know, I've got pals of mine. Don't you? Like, you'd see them off. They're going off to. They're going off to court, for example. Say, you're right, son. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, you know, I'm up for so and so. What do you think? Oh, I'll probably get a four or five custodial, and you know, and they brush it off like hazards of the occupation, mons. You know, hazards of the occupation. <sighs> Not for me, mate. What were you charged with? Uh, assault. Uh, GBH, ABH on a police officer. Um and something else. But when they found that I was 16, they diluted it all to, if I pleaded guilty, to, um, what's it called? Um, not disturbance and disorder. Something along them lines of general, un, you know. Disturbing the peace. Disturbing the peace. Thank you. Thank you. There you go, mate. Yeah. Something like that. And I ended up in court that Friday and got a fiver fine. But you had a taste. But now I liked it because I hit a policeman. <laughs> I thought to myself, yeah, that felt quite good, that. <laughs> and then you think, it's only when you get older. And then you realise you're already ways. You know? And you start. But you look at the time, that's how it was. So, Soho, what shenanigans happened there? Well, look, I lived on top well, coming from Notting Hill, I could walk um I could walk to Soho in about ten to fifteen minutes. But it was a place we never went. Because in amongst all the this was in the days when they had all the sex shops, you know, you'd have the girl at the top with the selling the and the shenanigans that went on. Like you get Is this the eighties? This is the eighties now, this is the early eighties. And you get a guy would come in one of these, you know, on the pretense of seeing a strip show get them downstairs, they'd give them a bottle of Prosecco, charge them 300 quid for it, whatever it is. The geezer obviously wouldn't have his money, can't charge it on a, on, a, on a credit card. So the two boys would march him off to the nearest, you know how this works, march him off to the nearest hole in the wall, get out everything he can, now jog on, because what's he going to do? 
we did a podcast with a guy called John Lawson. Do you remember that one, James? And he was uh, was it was it the Turkish Mafia in Soho? They were doing all this kind yeah, of stuff. This is yeah, and they were making fortunes out of it. Yeah. And you know what? You'd get you'd get repeat customers. It was like it was like they liked it. <laughs> it was like, did you not get it the first time when yeah. they was going to when they was going to destroy you? You're like, like you know, I, I don't know. And then, and then the funny thing was, you'd you'd meet a girl outside the business, and she'd come up to meet me, and you'd be. You'd meet on a corner. And then a couple of the working girls would, would walk past, clearly working girls. Hello, David, how are you? You're right. And she'd go, what's going on here? How do you know them? Hold on a minute, hold on. <laughs> but the underbelly of Soho, and this was at the time, it was run by gangsters. It really was. Right? We all know that the gambling clubs, there was a proliferation of them run by certain gangsters that are famous. Everyone knows who they are. Uh, uh, and uh, there was still that... A lot of, um, I mean, even in the early 80s in Soho, you could get anything that you wanted. Anything. And that was when the first time I ever come across, because I didn't know what was. Let's call it white. Sorry, sorry. That that was when I come across the white, please excuse me. Uh, Because I had no idea what it was. I don't think anyone did. Because it was, it was, it was the, you know, it was, it was a, it was something that the, uh, that the wealthy used. In the beginning, because it was you know it was it was wasn't within our the realms of what we earned as you know the average person couldn't afford to buy white stuff you know millionaires and rock stars it started with didn't it and dentists was it <laughs> allegedly <laughs> yeah 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 but for, it was oh Soho was just it was a magical place in terms of the shenanigans that went on like it was everywhere. And it was frequented by real gangsters. And there were so many little spielers, card, little card rooms, um, little drinking dens, you know, and they, and these were, you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of these people, that's for sure. Didn't really care how tough you are because you could get yourself seriously hurt here. And it was just all, there was all sorts going on, but we were okay because we always had the girls of us. What was your job title at this point of the story? I was still a croupier. In Soho, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was on a, I was in Charlie Chester's on Archer Street. Um, it was about eighteen months in, um, and Charlie Chester's was, and still is my favourite place to have ever worked in the casino business. Um, I mean, the actual, given the the building and the, and and the, and the set of circumstances, as a going concern, no. But it was the people that worked there that made Charlie Chester's what it was. Um, fantastic people, fantastic. With all these crime families operating there then, did you see anything heavy go down? It would depend on what... The, the, the problem you got with the casino business, by this point, after 1968, you had to get what was called the Gaming Act. Now, the Gaming Act was brought in specifically to get rid of two big families from out of the West End because the West End then, uh, as it was and in Soho, where most of the casinos were, were, um, were functioning, it was all French games. So the croupiers were French. And this was in the days pre-68, you could take tips. And in them days, they was earning three, four, four, five times a week what footballers were earning. Right? And this was in, like, they was, the, and it was, the Gaming Act of 1968 was brought in to bring gambling, to make it, to legalise it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was one of the most secure places, if you like, 
that you could gamble knowing that it was actually straight because we had to have cameras and there were checks and balances in place, policies and procedures, protocols. It, there's no way, um, for example, you could give you could give anyone credit or anything like that. Um, and because these were exactly what they, these rules, that's what they were brought in for. So, uh, yeah, and every manager that got to, you, it was called the Grace Certificate of Approval, which I've got one. Um, and you would, you would have to know, I mean, you're talking about these two books, legal books. I was in, I was in a classroom. And if you know me, classrooms are not my favorite place to be. Having to learn the gaming act. Um, and you had to know them. And then you had to take what was called a test in front of two policemen, two serving policemen that were, were on what were called the gaming board. And they would grill you to ensure that you knew the gaming act and that you wouldn't break it. Because if you broke the gaming act, you got sacked immediately. So gambling in this country was brought in after certain families that were proliferating in the West End to make sure that they couldn't work anymore. So you're saying those families kept order then, that the violence didn't erupt? There was always an underbelly. And, I, and, and like anything, there's hierarchies. And you you couldn't you 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 tended to see because we only frequented about half a dozen places, but you tended to see the same people, or you would see the same couple of guys that would seem to be keeping an eye on things. It was, it, again, it comes down to hierarchies: who's in charge here? But we certainly never. Oh, certainly, I never. I never got to. I never got to meet anyone at the, at, at the top of that tree. But I didn't want to, Sean. What would I be doing with them? You know what I mean? I was straight as a die. I was a croupier. I was licensed. I was earning good money. And I weren't far away from going to Miami. How did that come about? <laughs> <laughs> if I could say it, can I tell the story? Yes, please. So, so, so very, very, very quickly. In as much detail as possible. Right. So very, very, so we'd been, we went to, uh, we went to Beefer, I Beefer. I think this was 82, whatever it was, when there was nothing there. So, the following year, we'd made loads of friends over there, as you do, and we'd have a reunion. It was all going to go with Beaver. So I got, uh, I got tasks with, uh, in them days, you used to have to get tickets from a travel agent. Those shops. Thompson. Right. <laughs> Something like that, whatever it was. <laughs> so I've got the reddies on me, and I've got, we had, I think we, we, we had, a, it was about 60, 70 quid, which, which was loads, blah, blah, blah. So we, uh, anyway, so I goes to Amersmith, Thompson's in Amersmith, whatever it's called. Thomas Nothing. Cook. Thomas Cook. Perfect. Nothing. Uh, the only thing they had, they were 220 quid or something. Too much. That was no good. So now I'm walking down the Shepherd's Bush Road, get down to the bush. I'm walking up towards uh, Notting Hill, Hyde Park, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I've gone into another gap in Holland Park. Nothing in there. And again in the Evening Standard... There was a. There used to be a couple of things, and they do flights in there. So, I get a standard. I'm, it goes across the road, having a cup of tea, and I'm trying to get the thing, and I'm like, blah blah, and I'm, I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting out, it's a hot day, and I mean, I got, I want to spend these readies. I want to go back to a beeper. I yank the thing open. As I yank it open, this little advert right in the corner. It just said Miami. Dice dealers. <laughs> really? So now, like, ring this number. Now, this is in days before mobiles. Right outside is a red telephone box. 
So I'm now scrambling around trying to get some coins from him. So I ring the number. <laughs> Hello, American accent, English number, American accent. Uh, Hello, my name's David Moore. Now I'm ringing in response to the advert placed in the thing. I believe you're looking for dice dealers. We are, David. She said, listen, but we're only here for another couple of hours. We're in London. Uh, do you reckon you can make it to us in the next hour or so? So I said, well, in the first, I said, I'm not dressed for an interview. She went, don't worry about that, right? We'll, ma- we'll make our minds up when you get here. Can you deal dice? I said, yeah. So she says, um, we're in the Embassy Hotel. Bayswater. So I said, really? I was looking at it. <laughs> right? Face again. You couldn't make this stuff up. So I'm looking at this hotel. So I said, what, the Embassy Hotel in, in Bayswater? She went, yeah. I went, listen, I'm across the road. So the next thing, she's two floors up. She's looking down. She goes, is that you in that T-shirt? And I went, yeah. She's going, come up, come up. <laughs> I'm thinking, right, so this, is, this can't be happening, right? <laughs> so... Obviously, now I ain't got time to get nervous. I ain't got time to prep. I ain't got time to do anything. So I'll cross the road. I'll go into the hotel and I'm looking for an associate. But up the, up, I'm up the lift, get out of the lift, look around. There's 50, 60, 70 people from all over England trying to get these jobs. All in their Sunday best. And there's me in a T-shirt and a pair of shorts again. <laughs> got muscles now though. You know, I'm giving it the big one. And as I get to the thing, uh, Leslie and her name was, so she's, she's gone, you David? I said, yeah. She goes, come in here, David. So as I go walking past, I can see all these people looking at me again. I see him again. <laughs> so I'm thinking, I ain't got, I ain't got a Danny, what's going on here? Right? So I walk in the room, she's got a couple of her pals, a couple of young American girls of her, Leslie. So she says, so she sits me down. She goes, uh, where'd, where'd you deal with So I'm at Chester. So oh, you deal with Chester? How long have you been dealing? It's about 18 months. Sweet, no drama. She says, uh, what do you know about Miami? So I says, nothing. I said, but I'm a big fan of Miami Vice. I can tell you what Don Johnson does on a, on a, on a Crockett and Tubbs. So, 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 so do you know anything about Miami itself? So I said, no. Well, what do you know about ships? Nothing. So she says, uh, do you want a job working for us, David? So I said, you looking for dice dealers? She went, good answer. <laughs> she says uh, how long do you need to uh, how, long, how long now she says, so I said well, it's a week so she said good because that's what time is going to take for us to get the visas so she goes right what what flight can it be on and I'm looking and I so, so she says well the earliest one we've got next Thursday is on blah 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 BA123 whatever it is um, she goes I'll, be, I'll give you a call later on at 9 o'clock is that alright so I was, this was my interview, right? And I went, yeah. She went, welcome. And she goes, welcome to Atlantic Associates. And then one of the girls, this blonde, she turned around and she goes, see you in Miami, David. <laughs> Mate, I've never got into a boozer so quick in my life. But now I've, now, now I've got to go. So now I get back. So I've got to go and meet the boys at six o'clock. So after they've all finished work, and goes, oh, I walk in now. I'm up a light now. And I'm, oh, I can imagine the adrenaline. So I went, oh, we've got the police, we've got the police. I said, no. I said, but I've got a ticket. I'm going to Miami. What do you mean? I said, boys, I don't know how this is, but I just got a job in Miami. I'm leaving on Thursday. Really? I went, yeah, so I'll give them the money back. I went, sorry, but... Well, how much did that cost? I said, I don't think it costs anything. I said, I think they pay for it. Straight? Yeah. So I went home, 
told Nan, Nan, I'm going to Miami. Bring, it, bring me back a stick of rock, David. <laughs> I don't, I don't, no, I don't think it's how it works. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think they've got sticks. Or, I don't think they've got any candy shops in, on, 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 on South Beach. Um, yeah, and that's literally, I haven't got home that night. Nine o'clock, it's on the phone. Hello, Dave, right, have you got, have you got, uh, have you got a pen, Andy? Yep. Right, flight, blah, 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 blah. Next Thursday, you need to be at the American Embassy on Tuesday morning. You've got an interview at 11 o'clock. They're going to give you your, 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 uh, your visas. Uh, and then your flight's on Thursday. If I don't talk to you between now and then, I'll see you in Miami on Friday morning. And so I didn't have time to think about it, Sean. I just didn't have time. So I, yeah. So I get on one, it's the first time I get on, I'd been on planes before, but I'd been on the, the archetypal skinny little things where they jam 4,000 people into a, you know, where you can't shag a loof and, and, and Crete and, 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 but do you know what I mean? But here's now, this is a proper, uh, this is a real aeroplane. You either turn left for the posh people or you turn right and there's like rows of 12 seats. You know, like one of them. Coast. Jumbo jet or something. Yeah. Like. And I'm, there's me and I'm sitting there and I still can't get over the fact that I still ain't had time to, it ain't, I ain't had time to frit the sink in. Hmm. So I'm sat there. So this lovely wait, I mean, this, you know, comes over. She says, uh, would you like a drink? So I said, yes, please. So she had a, it, there was very few people on the flight. So she said, I've got some, uh, loads of champagne. It was like a glass of champagne. Now, I don't know about you, I can't drink champagne. Two glasses and I'm away mm-hmm. with the fairies. Mm-hmm. Something to do with the bubbles or something. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm blah, 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 blah. And then got to know the, got to know the, um, the air, right? The flight crew. And then at the, at the, she comes down one day, she says, she says, oh, you're going on vacation. So I said, no, I said, I'm going to work on the, um, going to work on the cruise liners. I'm going to work on a cruise line. She said, no, she's going to work on the sea escape. So I said, how do you know that? She went, oh, she said, oh, you're going to love it on there. Goes to the Bahamas every day, comes back to Miami every day. She says, oh, it's a great gig there. It's one day there and everything else. I didn't even know what the, what the itinerary was at this point. And I went, yeah, she went, oh, you're going to love that. And I went, really? She goes, are you staying in the Marriott Bayshore Drive? So I said, yeah. I said, how do you know that? She goes, that's where we stay. And this was in the days when flight crews, they do one flight and they were there for five days on turnaround. And uh, and consequently, all the all the new crew members for ships were put up in this. Well, certainly the ones from the, uh, that worked above the, the, above the decks, shall we say. Uh, and... Um, as we were getting off she said right she says meet us in the um, meet us in reception meet us in the foyer there's a little bar downstairs called Tugboat Annie's meet us in now we'll be in there at nine o'clock and we'll show you South Beach oh it sounds right you can imagine can't you? Listen, now can you imagine a week before I'm in Charlie Chester's I thought I thought I thought it was, I thought it was the water margin in, 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 in my like you know like, I thought it was the deer hunter and here I am there and I get down there, I get to the hotel room and it's like the, 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 the hotel room is the, the, the size of Stamford Bridge. And I'm, how did this happen? Then I get downstairs and as I walk in, she walks over, you know, they're all in their civvies now. All the, and the, you know, and this is British Airways girls, you know what I mean? They've got half a dozen. She goes, David, I said, yeah, because I don't shave now. I'm like, you know. Come on in, we'll show you South Beach. And then, I got to South Beach and I, we come down. You've been, have you been there? You've been, Joan, right? You've been, 
I was the best man at a wedding. Cocoa Beach Pier, Florida. Oh, right, okay, up think, north. Yeah. Further up north, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so I got my first, my first impression, so we come down off the causeway into things, come down 11th, bottom of 11th, and then we're walking along, and it was, it was very Hispanic, if you like. And it was all them old and big American cars and this Samba beat coming out of all the pubs, not pubs, the little cubs and bars and, and people. Do you know what I mean? It was a completely and utterly different world. A lot of Cubans, South Americans, Colombians. Loads of them. Yeah. Scarface. <laughs> Loads of them. That's what you, that's what it literally was. It literally was before it all became trendy, but that's another story. And so we wound up, um, and I said to her, like, um, where's, where's the best place for, live music so we wound up at the uh, place called um, in Brickle City Tobacco Road it was, it was the most infamous or famous bar it was the oldest most famous bar I think it shut down now shut down about 10 years ago but it's where everyone went for jazz music and it was a real hip place you could stand on a bar and I mean you know jazz and dance and all that it was a, it was a real hip spot to be was the spot in, in Miami and I thought wow this is it you know and I've, uh, well, then, yeah and I'm, I'm with them I mean, you know, and I've got people looking at me thinking, who's he? And I'm just all like, yeah, it was just, oh, man, magic, magic. So how did it play out? What, that night? Well, if you got, if something happened that night, let us know about it. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I mean, the night was the night, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and then, um, but I had a couple of days over there, two days to acclimatise, two days in Miami to acclimatise, coming from England, right? Uh and then we had a couple of good days together. It was a laugh and a giggle and we did what we did. And then um, the morning of going to work for the first time. And so you, you um, the way that you go through, you go through both so Brickle City and then you work your way down into the arbor. And as we were coming down the, uh, the thing, because I, I didn't know what pier it was. So I just said, can you take me to the sea escape? And he was like, yes, yeah, sweet. So as we're coming down, I can see this. We well, didn't look like a boat. I don't know what it was. It was just this rust bucket, and I was like, "No, please, that can't be." And I, and there's me. Of all the dreams, I'm going to tell everyone about this lifestyle I've got in Miami of sailing to the Bahamas every day and you know living with the wealthy and the rich and famous. When the reality was, there's this rust bucket that was about four thousand years old that had clearly been. Uh, some sort of um, cargo ship or whatever it had been, had been now converted into what was basically a daily ship that used to travel between the Bahamas every day. And that you could, and it was basically just a gambling ship. So we'd get out six miles into international waters, open the casino, get to within six miles of Freeport or the Bahamas, close the casino, spend all day in the Bahamas. Because I've already, by the time I get to work the first day, I'm already working out. I didn't even unpack my case. So I got into, the, I got into this little box stunk stunk of like a toilet proper stunk and I'm thinking what have I done here like what have I like I'm just like what, what's happening here anyway goes to work gets to the bananas and of course the governor comes over and says here just go so by the time I get to the bananas I've already befriended a couple of these girls from Tampa 
all the shenanigans about the, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, it could be a five-star hotel now. I ain't going, I didn't care by now. Because I, I said, like, just wait for us when I get off. They said, well, where do we go? I said, I don't know. I lost one of the boys. Went to Xanadu Beach and it's about a five-minute drive from the pool. Um, up to all sorts of shenanigans. Can you imagine? I was a 21-year-old oh, kid. Paradise. I didn't, I didn't know two girls from Tampa. <laughs> think, they, they think I'm Daniel Craig. They hear the English accent and the red carpets. Mate, they just start taking off their Allens, don't they? They just, uh, just Why do you think I moved to America? Then? <laughs> it's unbelievable, <laughs> isn't it? And I thought it was a joke. Because, I, I, I mean, I'm no Brad Pitt lookalike. And I'm thinking, how's this work? Like, like, Englishness goes a long way in America. And then, <laughs> you know, you, think, you start thinking to yourself, right, I'm going to be absolutely riddled by the time I get out of here. <laughs> but yeah, the, the 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 cabin all that we cleaned up, me and my, 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 my cabin mate, and then it, um, we lived the lifestyle of. Uh, I mean, eventually it didn't take me long. It took me about four or five weeks, and then I um, I was the only one I think, as far as I'm aware, that lived on that ship. I actually got myself a place on South Beach. Down the behind Ninth and Washington or Ninth and Ocean, just behind what was to suit what was to become. I think I think it's a news cafe today, or even, I don't know if that's still there because this is you're talking best part of nearly forty years ago. Um, and as you know, I think eighty six when Miami changed. A lot of people don't know this. When I first got there, first to seventh, if you like, was old white Jewish. Seventh to eleventh was was uh, was white South American Cuban. And then eleventh to fourteenth, before you get up to North uh, Midtown and North Beach, that was gay. So we only had four blocks, if you like. But what four blocks we had? But then when Versace got the job on the Miami Vice gig, so he became the consultant on that. That's why they were so insanely smartly dressed. Mm. He opened up an outlet on Washington Avenue, which became his biggest selling. That was his global. That was his best selling outlet. Wow. Got himself a place on the beach. Um, before that lunatic killed him. Um, but in in two years, he turned Miami from a, an area of ill repute. Within that short period of time, he started bringing down Madonna. He started bringing down all the models. So within a couple of years, you had half a dozen modeling agencies spring up. Um, all the, the all the older American cars started disappearing. They were being replaced by Bentleys and Range Rovers and whatever the top American cars were. And within three years, Miami was now the spot. A lot of the kingpins of the whites ended up in the mix as well, didn't they? Well, if, if, yes, is the answer. I mean, the, the, the thing with Miami at the time, uh, was I, I got very involved with it, but the, the, the problem was that it was everywhere. It, 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 was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was It was more difficult to avoid it than it was to to get some because it was just it was everywhere even the DEA I think it was said it wasn't addictive it was like a new thing and they didn't understand it properly no I don't, I don't think I don't think they understood it till about, about the mid 90s yeah but I think they'd worked out by that point how much money was involved and how much of Miami that was starting to spring up because all of a sudden it became like, like it was, London was very similar now. It, you know, when they started to develop the East London, when it, all you saw was cranes everywhere and all these new apartment blocks. It was like, hold on a minute, where's, this all, where's all this money coming from? So how you were know? you on the way? Did it, how did it affect you? I've it, got to be very, very, very when careful. When you first started trying it. 
Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, like everything else. I mean, it wasn't till I got Miami, um, and, and it was with it was with with the flight attendant, flight crew. How could you say no? Well, I mean, I mean, and by that point, you know, she said, no, "Do you want to try this?" And we were in that we were in Tobacco Road. Oh, I came out, Sean. Like I was, you know, like, and it, you know that. Did you have to go somewhere private to do it? Well, no, because they had them little bullet sniffers. You know, the, you know the bullets. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But if you, you if you could be discreet and could do it on a QT, because it, it was easy. You know what I mean? All right, if you went into, into the toilet and do it and all that, you know what I mean. But there was none of that having a. It was none. There was nothing seedy about it. You know, you didn't have to get it out of a thing and chop it up and you know and looking over everywhere and all that. You just basically. See, did you bullet first time? You feel superhuman. Oh yeah. What happened next? Let's do some more. <laughs> Where'd you get this stuff from? Uh, and unfortunately, you know, I, I can honestly say, because if, if you've never been to the States before and, and you're English, it's, it's nothing like South Beach. There's not like corner shops. You can buy alcohol and cigarettes and this, that, and they just don't exist. You might find a, a deli somewhere, you, you know, in, 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 in a, a particular environment, but it's not like that. And Florida's so vast, you know. It, so you people tended to buy boxes of cigarettes, if you like, and you could buy cases of whiskey and, you know, and um, but you could, you could buy anywhere. Sorry. All right, don't worry. But, um, you're telling us about the night, the first time you did it. Yeah. But, but what? what but shenanig- was- any shenanigans? Well, yeah, because it enhances the whole experience, doesn't it, in terms of, uh, you know, kind of by that, I kind of worked out what the female form was all about. But when you had that in you, you know, you're unstoppable. And, 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 and I suppose, I mean, allegedly these days, what you're getting, well, they call it pub grub and they've got various names for it. I mean, what we were getting out there at that time was nylon pure, was the high end of 80% white. Did the white become a problem for you? Yes. How, how fast did it, that start to kick in? Didn't take long. Um, how did it manifest as a problem? Well, it was such an experience that, and it was so freely available, and it was, and I could get it cheap for next to nothing. That it became, it became. I didn't see it as a problem because it became part of everyday life. If you like, you go to work, have a line. You'd finish work, have a line. Go out, you know, you just, it became, because you had that little sniff, and you just keep reloading it and keep reloading it and keep reloading it. And then before you know it, you're six, seven, eight weeks in. And now you can't do without it. And, but what a ride. So what problems manifested? Well, you all of a sudden it becomes an issue because we, we aren't good money, don't get me wrong. We made good tips, and we, you know, it's very, very, very comfortable lifestyle. And I think I was paying something like about four fifty a month for me, for me apartment, the service department, which was nothing in them days, considering it was on the beach, South Bourne Ocean, literally on Ocean Drive. Um, 
but you start neglecting, you start forgetting the real stuff. I stopped training, for example. Um, you stop eating. And it's all of a sudden, then someone who knows you pulls your aside and says, listen, you need to have a good hard look at yourself, Dave. Like, seriously, David. Like, look at yourself. Because you don't realise. So I don't know about you. Because when you live in the sun and you've got this deep tan, you, th- you think you look great. You know, oh, I've got a suntan, I look great. But you can't see the reds in your eyes. You can't see the bags. You can't see that you're getting, you've lost a lot of weight. You can't see you're skipping meals because you don't need to because you're just a lie. You know what I mean? There's no one to put the brakes on, is there? Because you surround yourself with everyone who's doing the same stuff. Well, yeah, and you're chasing that lifestyle. You're in, like, I was in Miami. I come from Notting Hill, Shepherd's Bush. I thought I was Don Johnson. But you're not, are you? That's the, that's Pink the shirts, no socks. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. And then, and then you, yeah, and then I, and then it became an issue because I, I met people that needed a solution to something that I could provide. Is this leading up to what we started with? Uh, not really, and I don't really want to go. I don't really want to go too far into that if that's okay. Yeah. Purely because the book will explain it all mm-hmm. in terms of. Um, allegedly what I used to get up to and uh, and the people I started mixing with in the because once you obviously when because I, I lived right in the heart of South Beach right, right and I was and I, I lived right in the middle of that whole renaissance mm. and consequently I'm out nearly every night and it was difficult trying to the, 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 the skillful part if you like because the, the part of the the other part of it is is maintaining a lid on it and in, in the States as you know all people that have got money, they wear it, they drive it, they show it off. They wear, they've got the big watch, they've got the big chains. At the time, it's probably different now. You know, they drive, they drive the car. You know, they're showing you that they've got the readies. That's how they get women. So it's a, it's a, that's how that works. Um, I'm not sure if, it, if it's the same now. It might be well different now. But um, I think, I, as I explained to you earlier, that uh, that. The crucial element in all of this, if you're going to start moving in any sort of thing like that in that world, is do not let anyone know what you're up to. Just keep a lid on it. You know, so I never had a watch, never drove a motor, got cabs everywhere. Uh, but I, you know, when I was out, I, I tended to overtip, if you like. I'd always look after people and got, you know. How did the people find out the story you started with, what you had? In the boot of the car. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Because um, I start, I started getting involved in stuff um, that started to make me a very, very nice living. And I, I can't really say too much because it will give. It, it's a very Olivia in the whole. Uh, it's a very integral part of the book. And I'm really sorry, Sean, but I can't elaborate because otherwise it, I'll give you the, I'll give away the story because there's, there's a there's a fantastic storyline. And but unbeknownst to me, I was being watched. But you think you're smart and you think you're clever. You, you forget that there's people watching who's watching them, who's watching them, who's watching them, and it's it's um uh and that's how eventually you then become a person of interest, if you like. So did you end up getting busted in the States? No. Was there a time you decided that you needed to get out of the country? 
Yeah, yeah. There was, well. How old were you at that point? So I was about, I think the first time I came back, the first time I came, I was about 26. I was in New York. I was working for a family in New York. Uh, and um, I was uh, I was running a little illegal gambling club from East 72nd between Park and Madison. And um, it's almost like you become a part of it. But I think the reason that I, they like me per se, if you like, I came in, I didn't want to know anyone. I'd done my job. I ran the games for them. They gave me my money and I left. And they looked after me. They looked after me in lots of different ways. Girls, white, tickets to shows, tickets to gunny games, you know, big basketball games. I went, God knows how many times I saw the Knicks, see the Yankees, you know, all that. Any show I wanted to go, it wasn't my thing, but you know, I went to the occasional gig. Um, but at that point, I knew I was, I was in way too deep than I should have been. What were the warning signs there? Um, well, I, well, it, someone made a mistake. They made a mistake. They picked me up and they weren't supposed to. Um, so obviously it was only, they'd realised halfway through, I was in the car for about five minutes, they were taking me somewhere. And I, I it was at that time I thought, okay, this, you need to review this, Dave. This needs, this needs, this is getting a bit on top now. So, um, they just let me out. And I think it was first and sixth where it was always a derelict area. Get out of the car. So, of course, I went back and spoke to Bobby and I said, look, Bob, he went to me, a yeah, good kid. So I said, he went, and I literally, um, I got a flight because I only had, I only had my clothes really to worry about. I didn't, it was the, the apartment I had, I didn't, it wasn't my, my, my furniture. I didn't, it's not how I lived. I lived out of a suitcase. So I got a flight down to Miami to try and put one and got a flight home from Miami straight away because it it was definitely, definitely coming on top without a shadow of by virtue of the people I mixed with, so associated what, with. So what was your plan when you got home? Well, I made a mistake. I went back to Charlie Chester's. <sighs> and I see a Chinaman. Now imagine the life I've just had after 18 months. And, and no disrespect to anybody, like, and no one had a, absolute no one had a clue what I was getting up to. And you know what? Until I've written that book, no one would have known. Um, and it just, I came home and I just, it was, it was a reality check because I'd lost sight of what was real. You know, I started to think I was Don Johnson. I started to think, oh, I work for this family. I, therefore, I am someone. When you're not, you're just a little that is really, really, that they can get rid of you and you just go missing. And it, and you, that was the realisation that you think, hold on a minute here. Like, what's going on? You're David, you, you get out of there. Yeah, so it was at that point, Sean, that I just, nope, I'm going home. How long were you at Chester's for? Another year. Then what did you do? Back to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Back to Miami. And I'll tell you what did it, Sean. You couldn't make you could not make this up. I was indoors and I had I had a few could basically I had to I had to offset it to a pal of mine who lived in Tampa, but I can't say because it's in it's a story in the book. And uh I come home one night. 
and uh, I'd rolled a joint. And because it was, a, you know, you finish at four o'clock in the morning on a busy dice game, I couldn't go home and go to go to sleep. It just doesn't work. You know, who finishes work on a busy job, what they do at five o'clock, goes home, goes to bed. You need to relax, right? So I go home. So I, I was I had a joint. Can I say that? Yeah. So I had a joint, cup of tea, and I'm just kicking back. And I'm thinking, oh, this is nice, lovely. And I, I had Capital Radio one at the time. And I was just lovely. I'm just about to nod off. And they used to have this advert, right? And it was the sound of the sea hitting the shore. You know that? It was London to Miami. <laughs> British Airways. 99 pounds one way. Mate, I bolted out of that bed. And of course, at that time, there was no computers, or there probably was, but we didn't have access to one. And you had to ring the, the number. But of course, being British Airways, it didn't open until nine o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning. So I stayed up, waited till they was open. I was the first one in line, can I have a ticket to Miami, please? <laughs> and I, I think it was three or four days later, I just literally went into work. I said, I can't do this no more. Because I knew I was never going to go back to Charlie Chester's. I knew, I'd just, you know, I, I, I should have given a week's notice, but by that time, I would just, look, I'm going back to Miami. And what was your job in Miami? Well, I got there because I had some readies there. And I thought I'd kick back for a bit. I'll take it easy. But I, I don't want to give any way to, because it's, it's, it's a, this is an integral part of the story of the book. I can't say so too how much. How long are you in Miami for? What, all, in all? On the second trip? Uh, about 18 months. And why did you come back? Similar story to the first time. <laughs> and what did you do? When the you firm could- I was involved with were now based in Florida. Because... They were connections from New York, and it was all you know, and it was they needed to do certain stuff, and I and I, I could facilitate it. So, so things got heavy. You came back, yeah, what, back to Chester's, or were you done with Chester's? <laughs> I went to the Vic at this point. The Vic, yeah, I went to the Vic on Edgware Road at this point because they had free dice tables, and I was always looking for dice dealers. So I wound up at the Vic. Uh, what a, what a mental, mental, mental game. That was that was probably the biggest, toughest, hardest I've ever worked in my life because I thought I could deal craps till I got there. And I've been dealing dice for about five years and I was 27, 28 now. I was like a little little lost puppy out of him. These boys were just so fast and quick. It was, it was insane. Um, and then <laughs> a couple of years later, I was on a game and... Uh, it was over 20 pence, right? And it's, we called them checks. So colour chips on roulette are called chips. Cash checks, cash chips with a denomination value called checks. So I paid out this guy. So I said, give me a tw- give, give me, give me a 20 pence check. So I've gone around, paid everyone else up, anything, dice have landed, paid everyone else. I said, give me that 20 pence check, right? He said, never give it to me. And he was Greek. Well, I said, so I just completely, so I said, see you, you dirty cheating bubble. Give me that 20 pence check, right? And I was going over the table. And luckily for me, the boxman just got hold of me and stopped me, right? And he went, what's the matter with you? I went, see that? And I just completely lost the plot. 
Anyway, so I goes upstairs, so he gets me off the game, go upstairs and settle, go and have a cup of tea and relax and see. So I'm upstairs 20 minutes. And the keys are next to me. And he was talking to this other guy. There were 650 people worked at the Vic. It's a big place, big, big, big casino. 400 gaming staff, right? And he says he was talking to this guy, and he says, "Yeah, he says I'm gonna, he says I've, I've got, I've got to ring uh, uh, Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines." He says, um, "He says I can't, he says I can't get a job with them now." He said because because they're looking for dice dealers. This you couldn't make this stuff up. So I'm sat next to him, right, and I'm steaming coming out of my ears. Right, and I went to him, do what? He went, "Mons, they're crying out for him." I said, "Give me the, give me what's the number?" And you know, in the states, it's one eight hundred casino. So I went out onto the payphones, and because it was a 1 800 casino, I got through, Sean. Right? Mary Ellen, her name was, never forget it to this day. Or Mary Ann or something. She's gone, hi, can I help you? I said, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm ringing in response. Uh, 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 I believe you're looking for dealers. She said, we are, David. She says, um, <clears throat> she said, what do you deal? I said, I deal, I deal 21, I deal the Will, and I deal Punter Banco. She said, well, unfortunately, we've got an 18 month waiting list. And uh, blah, blah, blah. and I've been dealing dice for six years. And she went, sorry? She said, can you hold the line, please? I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so next week, Geezer comes on the line. David Stanley's name was. He says, uh, David, he said, where are you working? So I said, I'm at the Vic. He says, what, you on the crew at the Vic? He said, how long have you been on the crew? I said, about two years. He said, how long have you dealt with dice for? I said, I started at Chester's. He says, when can you come? Well, I says, this is probably the best job interview I've ever had in my life. So I says, well, have I got the job? He went, of course you have. So he says, when can you get here? I went, I need this, about a week. He went to me, right. He says, you got the job. I went, lovely, bang, put the phone down, went and sat down, right? So the grey ghost, his name was Colin Miller. He comes through. He says, right, see you. I says, never mind about see me. I said, see you. You can stick your job, right? And you can stick it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> she says, why? I says, because I'm going back to Miami. <laughs> and literally um, just walked out. And a week later, I was back in Miami. So this is your third stint. Yeah. Yeah. Same again? No, 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 no. I actually was a good boy this time. I actually worked for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. How long? I did about three years. I think I did three good contracts, I think, which would, because you have, they were like nine month contracts at the time and you need a couple of months off at least. I don't know if you've ever done that sort of lifestyle, but if you've worked on a cruise line for nights, a long time, Sean, you need, you know, it's intense. You need, you need at least eight, 12 weeks off. So well, why did you finish? Uh, I was a raging alcoholic. I was addicted to the white. So freely available. I mean, you could get a case of beer on it. We could get it for $4. Um, and we were making fifteen, dollars $2,000 a week. Ooh. I was a manager at this point. And it was just, it, and I was 32. And it, it was time to come home. It was, there was if I'd have stayed out there, I'd, I'd have been in trouble physically. Because one, you're married to the job. Contract's too long. You're married to the job. Uh, and I was lucky. I was very, very lucky. I was like, right, okay, done. Had enough now. This, this, 
this casino business has been really, really good for me. I've utilised it for what it was for. I didn't finish training school and got stuck in a casino, the same casino for 10, 11 years and worked my way up to pit boss, you know, whatever it was and, you know, blah, 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 and got myself a mortgage and 2.2 kids and all the rest of it. I used it, what I thought, for what it was for, which gave me the opportunity to travel to the States, live in the Bahamas, travel extensively, work in New York, LA, spent a lot of time in Puerto Rico, got to go down to Cartagena on a lot of occasions for various reasons. And, you know, it was a good life. However, it was it was done. I was done. Time to come home. And what did you do when you came home? Uh, I don't know. I took about six months off. I needed to get off the sauce. I needed to get off the white. I needed to. It couldn't. It couldn't. You know what I mean? I come from a family of of drinkers and well, estate pubs are are are, are something else. Anyone that's lived on a council estate and knows and, and uses and, and uses a local state pub will, will tell you these are not particularly uh, favourable establishments. Um, and you just, I took six months off, cleaned myself up, um, went back to work, uh, and very quickly became a manager uh, and got myself a great certificate of approval. Became. Um, you know, man of the community, children, met a lovely, met a, met, a, met a great girl, met a great girl, beautiful, lovely soul, a uh, couple of kids. Yeah, and that was, and then uh, at that point was running a casino. It just, it was time to, to kick back then. It was, the problem you've got with the casino business is, Outside of London, there's no money in it. Not as not not enough to, to to sustain paying a mortgage, and your missus can't work, and having two young kids. There's just no money in it. There's not enough. How did you transition from casinos to working doors? I always did it as a as a big goal. Look, with, with, with all modesty aside, I always did a little bit. I like I like doing door work because aside from the obvious. The the, the 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 physical side of it and the, and and, and the, the mechanics of it, I used it as a it was a way to pick up girls. You know they call them please excuse me girls they call them door. For some reason there are certain women that like doormen for whatever reason it is I have no idea why. I get it that they like rock stars. I get it that they like film stars. I get it they like footballers. I get that right. But Dorman, really? But yeah, and then yeah, it just it was a good. It was, a, and I always did. I always kept my hand in, trained well, um, kept myself in good neck, in shape, and I always did a bit of work, and then always got a lot of per, a lot a lot of um, uh, a lot of um, private work, working with with villa like looking up. Do you know what I mean? Bodyguarding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was always, it was a, it was a nice little number. What were your hurriest moments on the doors? There's umpteen. Can you give us, so, a, give us a selection. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I explained the one about the, about the thing. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's the one time I got a little bit disappointed. I, I never, I took my eye off or something. You know, I paid the price for it. Um, Where was that? In what year? Probably about twenty years ago. And I was down here working on the seafront in Brighton. Yeah. And we got this little firm out 
And I very, very, very stupidly, you know, I, I had them where I wanted them and we had them, like, there was nothing going to happen. And I very, very stupidly turned round to clarify something. And as I've turned round, it was like a, you know them, you know them very small little um, mini bats they use at randers? Bang! Straight in a mush. Right? Uh, and by that point, now that gave them the impetus then, and now they're on us. You know, there's there's like maybe half a dozen of us, maybe there's 20 of them, and or maybe more, I don't know, maybe less, I can't remember, there's a load of them. And the next thing you know, you're just getting absolutely levered. Um, and But that was my own stupidity. That was... Um, What's the tactic when you're outnumbered like that? Uh, try and get the door closed. <laughs> is the number one tactic. Self-preservation mm. is, always a t- is, is always a tactic. Or, which I think they've lost the essence of now, is just make sure that you've got the right firm around you that if it does go horribly wrong, that you at least stand a chance. And I think you, you talk to a lot of, a lot of doormen. Uh, you know, you always want to talk your way, you should want to talk your way out of it first. That should be the first port of call. Always. Talk your way out of it, talk your way out, talk your way out of it. But there's always going to be a, sorry, there, there will come a point sometimes doesn't matter what language you use, it's going to go horribly wrong. And you can say to someone a million times, you can regurgitate the same story over and over and over again. And no matter how many times you say it, they're not going to hear it till one day they, or to one, sorry, till one point they snap. And you know it's coming. And you just have to be ready for it, that's all. But do you know what, mate? They're rare. Because intrinsically, most people are quite good. You'll be surprised. Dorman have got a very bad name and so, and so have people. What about out of control coach parties? This is going to shock you, right? I have never, ever in my life, because I do a lot of door work in an infamous strip club down here, which is frequented by mostly stag parties. Now, the thing with stag parties, here's the threat. Listen, you're going to get nicked, right? How are you going to explain to your missus you got nicked in a strip club? Right? Boom, done. That's it, over. The most, the worst times, and you can ask anyone this, ask any, are hen parties. I promise you, (laughs) women just go berserk. And because they know intrinsically, right, that we're never, ever going to hit them. They know it's never going to happen. You're going to, somehow you've got to stop them from getting in and you've got to stop them in a way which can't be construed as committing some sort of sexual assault and whatever it is. You ask any doorman, that's ask, and particularly ask doorman at work in a resort like Brighton where it's like the, the, the hen stag capital of, 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 of Britain. Hen parties are an absolute nightmare. Have you got a story of the most out of control one? I have, Sean, but I don't really want to be telling it. Because <laughs> some poor, some poor Herbert married her. <laughs> and she ended up in an hotel room with two of the boys. And, it, and you're, you're like, really? Like, and, and you just, yeah, you just, it's very, I, 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 I don't know, do you know what, man? I'd, if, I, if I could swerve this. What about stories of women, drunken women or women on white getting violent? That happens all the time. 
what's the worst see you've seen? Oh, I mean, I mean, look, we again referring to what I said earlier. You'll always get, particularly nowadays, with the, with the white being really it's poor quality, you know, and you know, you know what it's like. And you can always see him, the vultures hanging around the toilet, waiting. Oh, look, he looks like he's got a bit of something. I'll get, I'll get in there. <laughs> They're like vultures, aren't they? They really are. They're like circling the wagons, aren't they? And they're like, oh, and they hone in. And the, the problem they've got is as a doorman, you can see it from a million miles away who the vultures are, who the Charlie vultures are. And it, it's, uh, it's, I mean, I have, I mean, I've got, I've got umpteen cases of, 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 do you know the worst? If I was to say what the worst, if I could categorise it, right? The worst, like, for example, in here, the first year we were open, we did. The biggest employer in the town at the time was American Express. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's on Edward Street, yeah. They have, like, most of the... So their headquarters for Europe is in is in Edward Street. They employ thousands of people there. So we had about 20 parties here, right? Here, in this location? In this particular... Right here, Right? from various different departments, from the kitchen to the Spanish-speaking side of it to whatever department, to the compliance department, to the PR department, to the whole thing, right? And the problem you've got, never with geezers, is that these Christmas parties is free bars, right? Because what you've got now is you've got people that don't drink, and now they've got access to alcohol and they can drink whatever they like. And it is an absolute recipe for disaster. Recipe for disaster. Um, because I think the first year, after we'd done the first year, the guy who owned it, Finn, I went to him, I said, mate, we can't listen. We can't, like, the boys are overworked at these things. You know, you're, you're, you're aiming out after people by, by, by after an hour because they can't stand up. So... Yeah, I, 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 you know, I, I think I, I think intrinsically I like to see the good in people and, and the vast majority of people are good. But you're always going to get, there's always going to be some Herbert somewhere causing a problem. And unfortunately, believe it or not, it's of the female variety. So have you been attacked? Oh, I'm teen times. Yeah. And any with weapons? Bottles and glasses, they sling them at you. And spitting on's the favourite. It's not particularly nice. Has anyone smashed you with a bottle? Yeah, I've been, yeah, 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 yeah. What were yeah. the circumstances of that? Yeah, oh, I've been done a couple of times. Um, just involved in brawls. You know, you're trying to get things out on him. You know, someone aims a Hail Mary at you from somewhere and by pure chance, wallop, you get it on the back of the nut. Um, what about knives, guns? No, I've never been. Uh, the only time that I was ever confronted with a gun was the story I was telling you about earlier on Alligator, uh, alligator Early in... Uh, in in, uh, in Florida, but um, yeah, yeah, I've had. Unfortunately, that's that's the way of the world. But uh, uh, I'm hoping that because um, I still do a little bit of work from time to time, and I'll do it as we lead up to Christmas because it's a good social thing. Um, I think I think the new knife laws hopefully will. I'm not sure it'll work, but you kind of hope that people will. Because don't you, don't you see instant jail now, isn't it, if you get caught with a knife? So in Liverpool and Manchester, there was a lot of stories revolving around door wars. 
Did that happen down here or was that? No. Uh, it happened in London, for sure, certain gangs. But when I came down there and started working, there was almost like there was this gentleman's agreement that existed. So if you work for one company, because I think at the time there was about five or six different companies, if I remember rightly. I'm going back 20 years, Sean. And I was only doing it bits and pieces here and there, you know, occasionally. But it was, it was, it was, uh, there was etiquette, if you like. It was door etiquette. And if, if say, like, for example, I work for you, um, and then I, I came in and, and, and Peter was there. Peter then couldn't come to me and say, listen, Dave, I'll give you a two, two pound an hour extra more and I'll give you a little bit of this and I'll do that and all that. It was just, um, it was just something that you didn't do. Now, if you, didn't happen to like the place you worked in. It weren't for you or whatever it was, or the hours were too late. It was a nightclub. He's worked till six in the morning or whatever the case may be. You're well within your rights to go. And I could go to you and say, listen, Sean, have you got anything where I can finish at three in the morning? Cause my wife's driving me mad. I've got to get the kids up early. And you went, no. And I went, right. I'm going to try and find something else. By all means, it was, it was okay. But I can honestly, Sean, that never ever happened down here. In Liverpool, Manchester, the violence exploded over the control of the pills and the white. Who had the doors got to control that? Yeah, I mean, it was the same with it was the same with the boys from Essex when it when that all went wrong, and you know the the infamous story of uh, of the three boys that got done in the Range Rover. Um, Did you have a theory on that? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I do, yeah. Um, Able to show it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. I mean, it, it, allegedly, you get you get to the Leah. But I mean, so to me, that it, it all points to Leah Betts, and Leah Betts. She unfortunately was the young girl that died of taking the pill. Turns out she was the daughter of a policeman. Um, and. It turns out that the three boys, I don't think they directly sold her. They didn't do it, but I think it was a batch of, allegedly of what they supplied. Allegedly, I don't know, but allegedly, from what my little bit of knowledge is. Um, and I think they were, you know, they were very well known and there, there, was, there was all sorts of problems. But um, if you're asking me, it was so clean like it was done with such military precision, right? That wasn't done by a firm, if that if I'm making any sense here. That was maybe they've killed one of our own. Uh, they've gone too far. There was all sorts of people involved. And I think... I, 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 you could honestly say that the two boys that were st- I don't think they might even still be in the, in the shovel they didn't do it there's no way they did it it's, it, the, the guy that was it Nick, Gary Nichols whatever his name is Nichols he, you know he, he was he was he's the one that lollied and bubbled him but it turns out you know he was he was you know his, his evidence was just complete and utter nonsense and they 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 done the boys on his evidence uh, and I, without I hope I'm not overstepping the mark here but I, I, I'm just it was done with you know, there was no. I don't think there was a firm that was capable of doing it that good. So you're saying beyond Essex Police, then corruption. You're saying MI5. Oh, I don't know. 
Oh, I wouldn't go. I, w I mean, I wouldn't go that far. All I'm saying is that. Just we had a guy on recently, and he he was linking in MI5 and I mean, Essex I, I, Police and all this stuff. Well, I, all I know is this: look, and I think everybody knew that the boys were out of control, and well, not not so much out of control, but they were literally. And I hope I'm not, uh, you know, treading on things, but you know, they they were very very well known. They 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 had their own lifestyles, and you know, they got on with stuff, and, and good luck to them. Everyone's got to get a pair of notes on. We've all been there. We've all done stuff we're not particularly proud of, right? You got to get a pound note. Uh, and they did what they did. But whoever... It, they were Whoever it was that done that hit were connected somewhere. And it was, you know, to, to, to do them all in the face in three or four seconds of each time. Do you know what I mean? It's like... They'd done them. They didn't just shoot them. They proper shot them in the face. You know what I mean? They'd done them all. It, it, I don't know. Like, it just... And it's not from a conspiracy, conspiracy theorist uh, uh, perspective. That just comes from, I think, common sense. Common sense will dictate the two boys who were... I think they might still be in jail. They certainly never done it. Um, but you would need to be... You would need to look deeper into that. Because um, we had one of the brothers on, Craig. Um Michael Richardson, his name is now Craig's brother. Oh, Craig Rolf's brother. Yeah, and um, we had a few people on talking about it recently. It's fascinating. Do you think that it'll ever be solved if no. the guys are innocent? No. Because of high up? Yeah, well, and that's the reason. It'll never be solved because of who done it. Because if they really wanted to find out who done it, they'd find them. 100%. You, just, you don't just shoot three people in the face in, 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 down, down a farmyard yard anyway with no evidence left there whatsoever, with no trace of anything. And then here we are 30 years later and no one knows who it is. Well, well, the only thing we do know is that the two guys are in, are in, are in a shovel for it. They never done it. So it, it will always, it, another 100 years you won't be resolved. It'll be like Jack the Ripper. What about Rise of the Foot Soldier? What about it? The, their interpretation of it, what do you think? I've, do you know what? I'm... I'm, I'm it, 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 I only found out the other day that that's the most successful British film franchise in history. Is it? Did you know that? Holy shit. No, 100%. I did really enjoy the first one. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I never knew that until I looked into it. I mean, if you want, I think they've done a great job. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not my kind of thing. I mean, I wouldn't, you know what I mean? I'm not going to, I wouldn't go to cinema and watch them. But if I was, you know, if I was scratching around on Netflix, oh, do you know what? That's, a, that's not a bad little thing to watch. You know, they talk like me. I know people like that. I'll watch it. And it's and it's good entertainment. Because it's been a while since I've seen it, but didn't they imply that there was a rival gangster that they'd crossed or there was a foreign mafia that they'd crossed? That they were possible contenders for the execution. Do, you know, do you know what this is, mate? It's a very cheap version of the JFK thing. Hmm. It, it, it's an enigma within, within, a, within a puzzle. It, it, you know, and and that's the reason it is, because it was done like that to create that. Because you're never going to find out who done it, mm. because there's no evidence. The only the only evidence they got that they that, that they um, done the two boys on was the evidence of the grass, super grass that's now living a life and has lived life for you know, for thirty years, mm. and he's now his evidence has now been proven to be a complete and utter lie. So. You know, at the end of the day, um, I'm, I'm led to believe that miscarriages of justice, and I think there are people looking into it. 
that will get the two boys off. But they've spent the best part of 30 years in jail. 30 years. So, if you want my tuppence safety worth, I think, yes, they'll prove that the two boys who did the time will, will, will eventually get out and get pardoned and it weren't them. But to find out who really did it, no chance. Did you ever have any interactions with them? or the, Me personally? The, the deceased or um, hear any wild stories about them? No, but I mean, I know I know people who, 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 who knew them in terms of... Um, but again, that's not something I'm willing to talk about, mate. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I mixed in not dissimilar circum, uh, circles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think, as far as I'm concerned, I'd, I'd rather leave that alone. Of course, yeah. I think it's just something that... I, th- I think it's very distasteful. Mm. And I think when the truth, if it ever comes, I think, get, let's get the boys out first who did yeah. allegedly commit it. Let's get them out mm-hmm. and prove it weren't them. But in terms of trying to find out who really did it, you ain't got any. You're never going to get it. So, Dave, is there anything I've left out? No, you just need to buy the book and then you'll, fi- <laughs> and, and you'll find out the rest of it. There it is. Come over here. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. All the links are in the description box below this video. Check it out. And are you on the socials in case people want to follow yeah. you? Yeah, my, my Instagram is Moynihan Author. So my surname, yeah, and then author, and then you can actually get to see me what I looked like when I was twenty five years of age, <laughs> and understand why I kept wanting to go back to Miami. <laughs> uh, and there'll be updates on there in terms of my YouTube channel, uh, and then obviously it's all in, it's all linked from the the website of my book. I've actually got a website called lumpbook.com. dot mm-hmm. uh, That will give you a link into my IG site, and that goes into my YouTube channel. So. So if you're watching this on YouTube, all Dave's links will be in the description box below the video. Check it out. He's already got some videos up on his YouTube channel, so please subscribe. Let us know in the comments what you thought about this. Huge thanks to James and Joe for coming down to Brighton. James, and, Joe. And Pete, thank you, thank Pete you. the manager and the walrus. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be doing some events. Let's not forget Big Pete, Big Pete, <laughs> Pete manager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be doing some events at yeah. the Walrus here this year too. <laughs> Cheers, Dave. Brilliant. Thank nice you. To talk yeah, to you nice soon. one, man. Thank you. Yeah, well done. This podcast is sponsored by Gadfly Press. We are proud to announce the publication of Britain's number one art forger, Max Brandt, The Life of a Cheeky Faker. And from the back cover blurb. Max the Forger is an artist and gentleman whose colourful lifestyle has spanned over 70 years. He has lived under the strict regime of Bernardo's children's homes, been an elephant handler in the circus, lived rough, busked his way from Brighton to Bombay, sold his fakes up and down the country, dined with dukes, socialised with celebrities, associated with gangsters, served time in prison, and donated tens of thousands to charity. And through it all, he has never stopped smiling and loving life and missing his mum. Quote from the book. Mr. Brandrett, I do not see you as a malicious criminal, sighed the judge. But why, oh why, do you continue to use your God-given talent in this way? I just can't help myself, Your Honour. It's like an addiction, I grinned. Available worldwide on Amazon. Link in the description box below this video. Thank you for supporting our sponsor. I kill you! I kill you! Yeah! A knife and a cushion, all that, like, yeah!
And he's looking at me, and we went white. Dave's gone now. <laughs> what is it about a tough guy that fascinates us? Imagine I'm hearing that and thinking, I'm not going down today. If I go down today, yeah, I'm dead. We're bringing you the very best of our interviews with Britain's hardest men. They made the mistake of bringing Billy Cubs, iron bars and knives to a gunfight. No rules fighter bash, Stephen the Devil French and my best friend, Wildman. Over two hours of terrifying tales of punch-ups, stabbings. That's what happens in that world. You, you leave people long enough, they get enough rope chain themselves. Attempted murders and exceptional all-round hardness. 